I think Greg could call from fucking like Microsoft headquarters and it would still fucking no shit. He could be sitting next to you. Yeah, he could have Bill Gates on the call with him. You know, Bill cut out. <laughs> oh boy. Hello. Hey. How do I sound? Mm. You gotta keep talking, man. It's hard to tell. Do I sound good? You gotta keep talking. Read the phone book or something. Uh. Um. Pull up a web page. Pull up a. All right. I don't yeah, know recite the lyrics to my. What's Corona. your What's your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite cereal, man? Like the best cereal you've ever had. So when I lived alone after uh, college, I thought that crackling oat bran was healthy. So I used to eat the shit out of it, and I gained four pounds. <laughs> it's it's very sugary. It, I didn't know that because I thought it said it has oats and bran in the name of the cereal. So yeah, it's I like glued it together with frosting. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't. I, I really blew it there. Yeah, it's okay, man. Was this was this before the internet? Uh, that was after the internet, but it was dial-up at that time. <laughs> right, right. Dial-up. Hey, I, I remember, I remember having dial-up. I do remember that. Was this before nutrition labels? I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Episode 420. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftovers, uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hey, this is Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins, and you listen to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the Leftovers. We're the Leftovers, Jake. We're the Leftovers. That we are. That we are. Yeah. How's it going? Not bad. Not bad. It's been a fun week. (laughs) Yeah, it's... What a what a week! I don't know. I, I really do. I have any stories? Oh yeah, I do. I do. On my way to go see Sonic the Hedgehog two, which we'll talk about later, Jake. I'm driving down the road. On my way to see little woodland creatures, animated woodland creatures. Animated? Yeah, they're animated. Oh, oh! I thought you saw them on your way. Oh my god! Oh, okay. oh! Uh, I'm not on LSD, Jake. Um, <laughs> I'm just driving down the road on my way to see Sonic the Hedgehog two, which features animated woodland creatures. I follow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Glad you could catch up to where everyone else was. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a dick. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, I'm on my way to see like. You know, the echidna and the hedgehog and the, the fox get into crazy hijinks with, uh, uh, Dr. Robotnik and shit. And, uh, all of a sudden there's a, uh, I'm, I'm going 75, uh, down the highway and, uh, a squirrel's on the road and I tried to swerve and miss it and I hit it. 
Aww. It's like the, that's like the worst fucking thing in the world to happen on your way to see a movie that features his friends. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that tarnished the movie for you it, at all. I'm very curious. Dude, like halfway through the movie, like I thought about it. I'm like, fuck, I like after that, I was, I felt so I was beating myself up. Like, what should I have done? But, you know, like you hear the story about the guy who had the fucking Ferrari that fucking flew off the side of the road and totaled his car so he could not. So he'd miss a squirrel like I just drive a fucking Chevy Malibu and I can't do that. But uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I felt terrible. I, I really did. I felt so terrible. Oh. I hate I hate it when that kind of stuff happens. And when I saw the fucking lighthouse, was it a couple years ago? On the way back, I fucking hit a bird. <laughs> was it a seagull? <laughs> no, it wasn't a fucking seagull, but it was a fucking bird. I talked <laughs> about it on the that's podcast. Insane. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. It's like what the fuck? I'm not. I'm never gonna go see a movie about rhinoceroses. I tell you that much. <laughs> I do not want to fucking. Or I never want to go. It's, it's amazing you made it out of Jumanji alive. Yeah. No shit. No shit. All right. We've, we've talked long enough. We'll talk long. Yeah, let's just end the episode here today. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go out while we're on top, huh, buddy? This, this might be our best episode. This is a good one. <laughs> Man, you got to you remember, you remember that three-minute episode of PCL? That was fantastic. <laughs> we put a lid right on it. Man, that was a tight three minutes, too. That was good. <laughs> Anyway, we've got Joe Stark. Hey, excited to be here. Hey, how you doing, man? <laughs> you and one... <laughs> Joe doesn't even try to mix it up anymore, Jake. He's just like, fuck it, I'm going for it. Hey! Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> He's like, fuck you if you don't like it. That's my trademark, bitch. It is. It's kind of my, my trademark now, so it's like, yeah, oh, well, I might as well roll I with do. it. I do want you to go for it a little bit more though in the future. Like I felt like it was a little kind of like you were pulling back a little bit, Joe. I want you to just go, hey, you know, <laughs> well, you go full crusty the clown, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's not go overboard, but you know, I mean, I want you to, I want you to, yeah, man, you know, put a little. I thought that one was pretty good. It was decent, but it felt like it was like, you know, this is what I do. Going through the motions. Going through the motions a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is like fucking like year seven in the marriage, right? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's going to introduce me again. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know, so, (laughs) hey, all right. We know we got that over with. Yeah. What's going on? Anyway. Yeah. Joe, you hit any, you hit any woodland creatures this week? No, but earlier I went for a walk. <laughs> Joe's like, I yeah, a- I punched a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> I punched a raccoon in the dick. <laughs> Got the scars to prove it. That'll learn them. <laughs> Slippery little bastard. Um, no, I saw a muskrat like in the wild for the first time in my life earlier. Oh, wow. It was really cool. It was uh, adorable. Like imagine like a really big fat guinea pig. With like a really long skinny tail, yeah, and it like well, swims around in waterways and stuff. It's like an aquatic mammal, like a like a beaver, like a like yeah, like a beaver or a, I was trying to the otter. Those fucking adorable things from the zoo. Do they have like a little fur ball at the end of their tail? This one didn't. This it one was didn't. it was just a it was just dark, almost like a like a rat tail. I saw a wild turkey this morning. Oh, that's always awesome. I don't see many, many wild turkeys. Uh, driving up 
driving towards Indiana a couple of years ago, I saw a bald eagle. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah, fucking eagle. Oh, yeah. We get them here in the wintertime a lot. Like, I've, when I used to go out rock climbing all the time and I'd go up into that northeast part of the state, um, it would be normal to go past a field that would be, you know, like a sunny south facing slope. And you'd see like two dozen, three dozen bald eagles just oh, all camped wow. out in the field. On the on the way home, I hit it, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Eagly. <laughs> I yelled out the window for America. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we've also got spoiler Steve from Scenic Cast. How's it going, Steve? Hey, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I too thought you had seen some animated woodland creatures on your way to Sonic Two. Oh, so. you too are a fucking moron. <laughs> so there you go. All right, I guess. Thank you, Steve. It, it was the phrase yeah. of it all. I was like, oh my yeah. god. How? Okay. Uh, uh, excuse <laughs> me. If 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 I, so I, was like, I continue. All right. Yeah, I saw animated. Cre- I'm on my way to see animated creatures in a movie. God damn it. I even told you I was on my way to see Sonic. I don't know how the fuck you guys think I'm on some fucking LSD trip and I'm fucking seeing I'm seeing animated a goofy and fucking Daffy Duck. And what the fuck? <laughs> like, Jesus Andy Christ. Sucks. You know, like the. the I introduced Steve, and the first thing he does is defend Jake's stupidity. (laughs) I too am a fucking idiot. (laughs) I thought you were seeing animated ducks and animated birds and kittens and squirrels. Anyway, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, I fucking. I drove into an episode of Looney Tunes. Oh, sorry, I'm just. I I I told you. I told you before we recorded. I was gonna be. I told you before we recorded. I was gonna be cunty this episode. <laughs> Steve, I'm happy to have you back, man. Uh, I'm sure, and I'm sure you're happy to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm just glad you remembered to call, to. I thought for a minute you forgot about me. I'm like, oh crap. No, I didn't forget about you. I was just slowly introducing people onto the episode. I just didn't want to like fucking, you know, uh, blow my load right there at the beginning. Be like, Joe and Steve, and here we go. We're off the fucking races. No, I wanted to fucking ease it into, in, ease into the episode, Steve. You, yeah. No, no faith in me this episode. You think I'm seeing cartoon animated creatures and shit and I forgot about you? What the fuck, Steve? I got this, this. I fucking run a tight ship over here on PCL. I know what the fuck's going on in my show. I am getting so cunty this episode, Jay. <laughs> I got to get ready. I got to get ready. I know. I'm sorry. I like I <laughs> like. Watch how you talk to me this episode, damn it. <laughs> I will destroy you. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, if uh, if you're a fan, uh, and why wouldn't you be? If you're a fan of uh, Chris Lowe's band Volk, uh, he wanted uh, to let everybody know uh, that uh, if anybody in the Leftover Army want to come to any of the Volk uh, and Electric Six shows, they can message him directly on uh, on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, and uh, he will get them on the guest list. So, that is a message from Chris from the band Volk. If you're not familiar with Volk, add them to your playlist on Spotify or any other fucking music platform that you listen to and check out Welcome to Cashville. These guys fucking rock. 
So thank you, Chris. And we've also got to go over the winners for last week's contest. And that contra- contest was for the uh, uh, Chris Pine movie, The Contractor. So we're going to go over the winners for that contest. Let's see here. Let me pull the first name. Hey, 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 Joe. You want to write these down, dude? Oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> you fucking rock. Because <laughs> uh, then I got to go back and listen. It's a whole thing. Anyway, uh, first winner is Rab6907. So that's what they go by. You win. You win a – oh, Jake's got something to say about this, doesn't he? <laughs> I got – did they run out of the uh, – did they run – was 6906 taking Rab? <laughs> 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 and, uh, okay, I, I got get, nothing. Just got, a light snicker. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, it's you know it might there might be a fucking amazing story that goes along with that. There might be an amazing story that goes along with that. We don't know what Rab sixty nine oh seven means, Jake. There might be like a fucking life life changing story for this individual that goes into that. And here we are. I, and we're I, gonna we're gonna sit here and make fun of it. Sixty nine. <laughs> you know. So. I appreciate your charitable assessment about the situation. That's it's the probably right not. It's probably I have the wrong outlook. It's probably nothing special. It's probably stupid as fuck. Anyway, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably, not, probably nothing going on with that name. Anyway, Rab sixty nine oh seven. You know, Jake, this to rent this fucker or this is it's nineteen ninety nine right now. I saw that. Yeah, you can't even buy it. It's, just, it's a twenty dollar rent. It's a twenty dollar rent or. You can, you can go see it in the theater if it's playing near you. Now, if the next winner is Rab6908, I'm going to think something's crazy. Ah, something's going on with Rab. <laughs> next winner is Johnny Wenzel. Actually, I, I knew a Johnny Wenzel back in the day, Jake. Let's see, I wonder if it's the same one. It's not the same one. I don't think. It can't be the same Johnny Wenzel. How many Johnny Wenzels can there be? Uh, apparently, there's at least two. <laughs> anyway. And number three. You're like, it can't be that guy. I killed him. It's not him. (laughs) Yeah, I buried him in the desert. Oh, allegedly. No, I did. Anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) number three, Ryan, uh, was that number, what what number are we on, Jake? This is number three. Number three, Ryan Bradshaw. You want a copy, digital copy of the contractor? Number He deserves it. Ryan's great on Twitter. Number four. Hey, Joe, remind me, you won. Yes! <laughs> oh, lucky. I forgot to do this one. I, I really want to see this movie. This looks really good. Steve, you got, dude, contest. I still got one more. You can send off your entry here real quick. <laughs> Pause the show. No, no. If he can't do it within fucking 10 seconds, he ain't going to fucking win. It ain't happening. <laughs> All right, here we go. And the final winner. Yeah, come on. Give me a goddamn name. Javier Sotomayor. Javier Sotomayor. You win a copy of the contract, digital copy of the contractor. Uh, I will, I've got the codes already, guys. So I will get those codes sent out to you tomorrow. And congratulations to everyone who entered, including Mr. Joe Stark, who's on this episode. Yay. It's exciting times. These are exciting times, Joe. Yes. 
<laughs> Joe had nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> I was just honestly, I was going to say these are exciting times for everyone that's not listening to this episode right now. So, uh, let's, are you guys ready to jump into good pop, bad pop? Oh, yes. Oh man. Uh, I suppose I am as well. Okay. It's, it's, it's unanimous. <laughs> we did it. We can move on to that segment of the show. It's time for more leftover reviews with Good Pop, Bad Pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, first thing, I, real quick, just want to let everybody know, uh, still watching Minx. I'm still, I just finished episode seven today. I'm going to start episode eight. Still watching Minx, uh, Jake Johnson, and, uh, oh, what's, I can't remember the, can't remember the, uh, the, the female lead's real name. She is fantastic though. I'm, I'm love, this is an absolute Tupperware. And I, I honestly think that, uh, episode seven titled God Save the Queen of Dicks is, I'm, yeah, funny title, but probably one of the best episodes of television I've seen all year. It is absolutely phenomenal. There is a scene where she goes in and she talks to these misogynist, uh, radio shock jocks. About the magazine that's starting to finally pick up some traction. And my God, what an amazing scene when she shuts these motherfuckers down. It is really fucking cool, man. Really fucking cool. I absolutely loved that episode. I was like, please don't let her fumble this interview. Please don't let her fumble the interview. And she fucking nails it and makes these guys look like fucking biatches. And I loved it. It was so, it was really good. I'm telling Jake. If you're still not sticking with Minx, you need to get back on that shit. It is so good. Yeah, I need to do like a like a Minx binge. That'd be a good one. It's a nice, quick, breezy show. And I love Jake Johnson. I thought um, Ophelia Love a Bond was really good, too. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, that's her last name? Love a Bond? Yeah. Love a Bond? No, it's, 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 it, her last name is just like, it's like, you know, Love a 007. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love a bond. It's a beautiful last name. Ophelia Love a Bond. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like a very handsy touchy name, doesn't it? Ophelia Love a Bond. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it does. It sounds like it's, it's a touchy feely name. Ophelia Love a Bond. Okay. Alright, whatever. Guess that one didn't go over well with you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> God save the queen of dicks. You guys can eat them. Anyway. <laughs> and I finished uh, this past week. I, I finished all, uh, what was it, nine? Yeah, nine episodes of the first season of Reacher with Alan Richson on Amazon nice. Prime. Joe. Yeah, Steve, you were the first one to talk. Like I was on Cenecast. You were talking about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I love Alan Richson. I've got to watch this show. And I... Kind of put it off because I had other things I had to be watching. I finally watched it. My God, absolute Tupperware. I love it. I love it. It's a, it feels like a throwback to like old television that I would watch, you know, when I was a kid and shit, but also like hyper violent, like 
you know, like watching a John Wick movie, you know, or something. So the action scenes are some of the best parts, especially yeah. for like quote unquote television TV, the way it's shot, like you're saying, that's what really blows it away for me where I'm like, wow, this is some great action. It's really great action. And, and he is just so big and menacing, but he's like, you know, it's like anytime he walks in the room, not only is he the biggest guy most of the time, but he's also the smartest, you know? So it's, it's, I love like the detective work that we get, uh, from, from Reacher. It is, it is a fantastic show. And I, I love that they kind of set up a certain character to possibly show up in a future season. Cause it feels like he's going to move from town to town to town. But one of the yeah. characters is moving to a specific city and I'm hoping that one of the future seasons will have Reacher end up in that city because I loved his interactions with that character. So, yeah, absolute Tupperware for Reacher. Yeah, I hope they keep the the eight to nine episode format covering like a book at a time because it really it fit well for this because it just flowed properly. Nothing felt like a filler. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you dug this too, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought he was such a compelling character. When I was describing the series to my wife, I was like, Reacher's basically like this character that like most dudes want to be. <laughs> they they want to be this big dude who can kick ass and can solve all the problems. So it's like this is like I heard this described as like perfect like dad television. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I've I've not read any of the books, but I've heard there's a ton of them. And I'd like to see this, like, kind of like what Steve said, like if they can keep this going and just keep, you know, just crossing off a book a season. I mean, they've got a lot of source material on their hands. And it sounds like Alan Richson loved playing the character and he's down to keep keep it going. So I'm excited to see where this franchise is going to go. I'm sorry, man. I'm a product of the 80s and 90s fucking, you know, action hero. And I. Oh, yeah. This is I, I love fucking watching Big strong men beat the shit out of people. I'm sorry, I do. I fucking yeah. love it. I fuck. I'm a fucking man. I like that shit. That's why I like the fucking uh, action. I love like I just love the action genre. And 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 Alan Richson is so good. Even the, like there's the one scene where he's in the bar and like there's the other guy who's bigger than him. Oh my god! Wow, wow. He dispenses with that motherfucker very quickly. It's so good. This, it's so good. It's just not stupid, dumb action either. It's, it's, it's smart. It's, the show is very smart. I love the detective stuff in it. It's absolutely is it Is it the same Reacher character that like Tom Cruise played in the movies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I'm loving it. It's fantastic. Absolute Tupperware. I, I, I actually, uh, I, I burned through like the first eight episodes and I held off on watching the final episode because I just didn't want the season to end. <laughs> and so, but I, <laughs> but I finally watched it a couple days ago. It's absolute Tupperware. Uh, Moon Knight, uh, episode two came out. Uh, I'm not going to do a full breakdown of it like we did last week, but, um, did everybody here watch Moon Knight episode two? I, I'm assuming y'all did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys think? Um, I'm still, I, I'm still at a high taste it for it. I, I thought actually, I, th- I thought the first like 30 minutes were just like a taste it. And it really, I think it really started to ramp up the moment that Steven got his, got, got to Arthur Harrow's kind of like cult, um, sanctuary or whatever the fuck where they're all staying. I was like, Oh my God, this is, 
this is fucking nuts. This is crazy. Um, it, and it seems like it's a perfect place too. It's like, you know, everybody's learning three languages, the diversity there, like, and they're all learning all these different languages. And it makes you think like, oh wow, these people are really trying to understand different cultures, understand each other. It's like one world, one perfect world. But at the heart of it is like this fucking, they're all worshiping Amit, this God who will judge you and even judge children and send them to their death if she has to. And it's fucking, it's insane. Um, I, I love the way it ended because I'm so, as far as how fun Steven is, Steven is super fun, but I want to see some goddamn Mark Spector action and some real fucking Moon Knight. Um, I feel like I've been following Mr. Bean for the last two episodes and I'm ready, <laughs> you know, just fumbling. Oh, you know, shit, you know, like it's, I'm ready for, I'm ready for some fucking real action from Moon Knight in the next, you know, couple episodes. So, um, yeah, Joe, what'd you think about episode two? Yeah, I, I love this one. I, I am, this is, I mean, I get what you're saying about why you're, you're giving it the high taste it versus a Tupperware because it is still in those beginning phases where it's still building us up. And, and I also agree that I keep watching this going, give me more Mark Spector, but that, that, Steven's character, the way he's doing it, continues to be compelling to me and i loved in this episode how we got so much more of the back and forth with that the you know the mirrored surface work between the two different personalities and yeah when they go into harrow's area there it does it looks like an absolute utopia yeah until it doesn't and then yeah. all these people just start getting up you know from the little charade that they were putting on and surrounding and it, and it goes from being a utopia to a, a very menacing place like so quickly and I absolutely loved we got the Mr. Knight uh, look when when it came time for Steven to put on the suit. Uh, I, I, I could see some hardcore comic fans getting upset about that because it's the bumbling Steven in that. And whereas in the comics, when you see Mr. Knight, that's like the personality who is really the detective that works right along with the police. And so he's generally – you know, very professional, very, very cool. Definitely no Mr. Bean <laughs> about it when the white suit's on like that. But, but I just, I love, I, I think it really comes down to Oscar Isaac's performance in this because he makes both characters very, very compelling. And we've just been getting glimpses of Mark so far, but I was pretty excited at the end of this episode, the way it wrapped, um, seeing that it's now moved to Cairo. And hopefully we're going to start getting more of that Indiana Jones yeah. um, type show, you know, that, that we were told we were going to get. But I still really liked this episode. I, I, I love seeing all the Mark in the suit stuff that we got in this one. Also, um, yeah, th this a series so far, I've been really stoked for it coming up. And like before this series came out, like I did so much different reading in the comics that, you know, I mean – Prior, I hadn't really read Moon Knight at all. And so then this show going to be coming out in the future kind of really kicked me in the pants to start reading it. And so it really got me stoked for this to come out. And it just feels like such a a continuation. The narrative they're telling in the show just seems so similar to something that would be told in the comics. Because it's like every time there's this new iteration of the comic comes out, it's stuff's different. And and so I feel like this just plays so nicely with that other source material. And I'm really excited for the, the story they're telling. But I really do also want to see more Mark Spector moving forward because Moon Knight at his core 
is a real badass and Steven unfortunately just is not. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's where I'm kind of at. Like I appreciate the performance, but I am, I am definitely really leaning more towards seeing more Mark in the Indiana Jones type action. Um, I did like watching once, uh, Mark took over and we saw Steven in the mirror. I liked that interaction between the two because I think in that moment with them two talking and Steven taking a back seat and he's talking about how like it's really hard to even be like a fly on the wall when you're when you're in that position when you're on the other side when you're not in control and he even says and I do think that I think what I've learned from this episode and that interaction is that he's always had dissociative identity disorder his entire life. But this, because he's been uh, taken over by Kanchu, Kanchu makes it so that his identities can communicate like this because there's a, there's a moment in this episode where he, where Mark tells Steven, once I'm done, you'll never see or hear from me again. So meaning that this, the personalities will be separate. They won't be able to interact with one another. The only reason that they have been able to interact with one another is because of this deal he's made with country. And once the deal is over with, it'll go back to the way it was. So I thought that that, I, I think that kind of helped clear that up for me a little bit. But um, I did think that the CGI was a little suspect at the end of this episode. Um, when he is battling like the jackal on the rooftop and they're running, I, I, I think I didn't think it looked great to be quite honest with you. So yeah, that's uh, that's another nitpick of mine. Jake, what'd you think? Uh, this episode was kind of a big step back for me. Uh, I loved the first episode. I thought it was a Tupperware. I thought it was kind of the, the perfect introduction to get me hyped for this series. And then I found episode two to be a little bit too meandering and a bit of a slow build. Like I, I thought they kind of established all this stuff perfectly in the first episode and was a little bit annoyed by the lack of forward momentum in this second episode. Um, I, I didn't care for the Mr. Knight stuff too. I thought it came off as kind of trite and almost just like felt like a reason to sell another action figure. Um, I agree that the best stuff was when we got to, uh, Harrow's compound and you know just like you guys I was really questioning like the villainy of this character like it's for a second you're like wait a minute what's so bad about this guy and then it's oh oh yeah that's right he's just killing people but um yeah I don't know I, I I'm still excited for this show I I'm excited to see what happens in episode three but I I just don't have the same drive forward anymore this one was a little bit of a yawner for me it's going to be just a middle of the road taste it Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, two things, uh, from this episode. Uh, one is, uh, last week I said that I thought that Harrow might have been the original avatar for Khonshu, and we find out that that was true this episode. Oh, yeah. I thought about that when they revealed that. I was like, oh, you're right in the money on that one. And also the, the scarab is going to lead them to Ahmet's tomb, uh, just like I said in the last episode. So. Yeah. Um, Steve, what did you think about episode two of Moon Knight? 
I'm enjoying it. For me, I know was it like six episodes for yes. this season or series. Um, it's starting after seeing this second episode. It's starting to feel like they've essentially extended three act structure into six parts. And like what Jake's saying, this episode felt a little bit more like deleted scene type of stuff. You'd leave on the the cutting room floor if this was like a movie or in like a three hour movie sort of thing. Um, but I'm really enjoying the slow burn. I'm really – the only Mar- uh, Moon Knight that I've read is the Marvel Knights one when he's got three different uh, personalities talking to him, and they're all different heroes. I think it's Spider-Man, Captain America, and um, uh, who is the third one? And Wolverine, I believe. And once he hit the um, uh, the elevator, he hit the third floor. So I'm really under the impression there's a third personality we haven't been introduced to yet. Um, that might be coming uh, in like the the fourth, fifth, and sixth episodes, and I'm also under the impression that these first two episodes were Steve, uh, and then we're going to be doing Mark these next two episodes, and then we'll get uh, was it Conchu, and if this there is a third personality, I think we'll get a lot of that because Mark and Steve could be not the main uh, personality. That for whoever it is, I know it is. I think it's like Mark in the comics and everything. Yeah. But the way could go. It could be a bit different, um, just the way. But I'm really enjoying um, how they took these two episodes to explain a lot of it because there's a lot of show don't tell, which I did appreciate um, with his personality disorder and everything else. But I'm at a high taste as well. I'm really enjoying the ride to see what happens and hopefully it. it it continues on, but and it, you know it's funny with the 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 jackal that was chasing him in episode one. I was like, wow, that thing's not hitting anything, and then we find out like why in the second episode. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's all I really got. Yeah, I like that too. I was th- honestly thinking that it's going to be all Mark and Steven, and they. I I don't know why I keep thinking this that, and I could I I might be wrong here. That it might be too much to introduce a third personality just now, and they might, like in a post-credit scene or something like that, tease Jake Lockley for like. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because <clears throat> when he gets onto the third floor, I'm like, this could be Conchu, Mark, and Steve, or it could be three personalities that he's dealing with. And I forgot about uh, Jake Lockley. So yeah, I was just thinking like they, it'd be. I think it'd be smart to save Jake Lockley for like. I know they don't have him signed for anything else, but they will, people. I mean, I don't think that this is a one-and-done season for from Oscar Isaac. So you don't. So you think they do it like a, a Loki thing? They'll get a season two for Moon Knight. He won't be jumping around in different. I think. Uh, I think they're gonna get. I think they're gonna entice him with a Midnight Sun series where he gets to play with Mahershala Ali and Daredevil and possibly, um, yeah. uh, uh, the, you know, the Black Knight, um, Kit Harrington. I, I think a Midnight Suns movie or TV show could be happening. I'd pref- yeah. So I, I, and maybe even a season two. And I think there will probably be movie appearances. I think they're just waiting. I think Oscar Isaac is just like waiting to see what they're going to give him because I think he's at this point in his career, he has one. I, I think he's being a little bit more careful with like what he's doing because I mean, look what happened. You know, everybody loved Poe Dameron. And then by the time we get to Rise of Skywalker, it's just like, what happened? Um, yeah, who cares? And then yeah. he pissed off too. You could see in the interviews. So yeah, you're right. And then he signed up to do X Men Apocalypse and play like this amazing villain. And what happens? Yeah. Like 
you know, anything that he wanted for his character in that movie was just kind of, you know, stripped from him because of a bad script and uh bad, actually just bad aesthetic. He, he looked terrible. Um, so I think he's being a little bit, he, I think he wants to see what the reception is. And I want to, I think he wants to see like what they're going to come to him with. He's working with great people though. Like this episode was, um, who is the director on this one? I know it's, um, a guy, it's a guy that did, uh, the VHS movies. Uh, anyway, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to look it up, but it's, I mean, and that, the VHS movies, fantastic horror. Uh, it was the, the director for the endless. Um, I was about to say, he just did something recently as well. I think. Yeah. Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson were the directors on this episode. Yep, those the guys from VHS. They did like uh, a couple stories in the VHS movies, and I think in the second one, it was the only story that I liked was from those guys. So um, yeah, uh, I th- I think he'll be back. I don't think this is a one and done, and I don't think like at the end of this, uh, Kanchu will p- pick another actor to play Moon Knight. I think we're going full forward with Oscar Isaac. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that... I think he's coming back. I agree with that logic. He's been burned a couple times before. He probably just didn't want to sign this giant contract before seeing a little bit of the uh, public reaction to this after Mm -hmm. the apocalypse and Poe debacles. Um, Yeah, I could totally see him coming back. Um, I also agree that he probably won't be like a big like figure character in the movie franchises that they'll probably like carve his own little universe with all the uh, the darker characters like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I I, I think there's a lot of truth in what you just said there, Jake, that after being burned, he wants to see what's going to happen right now. You know, the MCU movies are for the most part really on the top of the mountain and why wouldn't an actor want to show up for something like that? But in the past, after being burned before, I can see how he would be cautious. But yeah, I really do hope that this is the beginning of, you know, Marvel horror stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like for as much as I'd like the Marvel Disney plus shows, I don't think that they, I don't think they compare to the movies. As far as like my, you know what I mean? Like my excitement yeah. level for Moon Knight, it, I like it, but it's not And my, like, I think my favorite one so far has been Loki, but out of, even out of all of them, like Hawkeye, I, I, I really enjoy them, Jake, but I never have like that same kind of like feeling like opening day of going to see like, you know, the new Spider-Man movie or the new Doctor Strange movie that's coming up. Like, you know, we're like, a, we're just like, you know, a few weeks out from that. And like my hype level for that is just so much more than like these Disney Plus shows. But, and it's reversed though on the other, on the flip side, it's reversed when it comes to Star Wars. Like I, I look more forward to the series now than I, than I, than I do the movies. So I think that just tells me that I think that the performance of the movies has been better overall than the TV series for me. Yeah, I could see that. I, I thought episode two just looked a bit cheap too. Like it felt like they like used so much budget money on the first episode with the, the chase sequence and just effects that they kind of bottled it in on the second episode. That, that whole sequence where he's running from the jack. That's what I said. Yeah. I said, I said the, the CGI look, uh, well in the second episode, the CGI looks suspect to me. 
Yeah, it's just a really bad scene. Like, it goes on way too long, too. Like, how, how long do I need Oscar Isaac running in the darkly, like, blinking light hallway scene? Like, that, oof. It felt like 90 plus seconds of that. And it, it was just, I don't know. Yeah. I agree with you. Like, the level of excitement just hasn't been quite there yet. It'll be interesting to see when they do, like, an event show, like a, uh, armor wars or a secret invasion yeah whether that'll amplify kind of my hype level for these shows i don't know i really don't know especially with secret invasion honestly like my hype level for secret invasion actually goes down a little bit since it's not a movie (laughs) (laughs) i I still really love the the week to week build up though you know, I'm being able to speculate in between uh, shows coming out and stuff. Yeah, I, I guess mean, we don't really get that with the movie. True. But, you know, with some of these movies that are coming out, you know, it's hard to to compare like an introductory series to something like, you know, Into the uh, Multiverse of Madness just because there's already so much behind that that, that we're expecting. But, but I, it, you, you're totally right, though, because, I mean, I'm so stoked for Thor Love and Thunder and – but then again, there's a lot behind that, that that's going into the reasoning for why I'm stoked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all, I mean, this is, it's all connective tissue. Like this is all, you know, it's all part of the same MCU. It's all connective tissue. It's just, I, I, I get more from the movies and the movies do have like things that make you look forward to other things like post credit scenes will like give you teases as to like what's ahead. And so the week to week is fine, but when the week to week is who is the power broker from week two to three to four, fuck off. I'm so done with trying to guess who the villain is by the end of the season. And I mean, literally every show had you guessing one thing or another like that. This, on the other hand, I think it's just, I think that laying out the mystery from week to week is the like, you know, what's really going on here with Mark and Steven and, you know, them, uh, them not showing, literally not showing us Mark's origin story and just kind of telling it to us, I think is interesting. But, um, yeah, I was, I, I don't know. I am, I am enjoying the show, but I just think that the movies are, are just a little bit, uh, a, actually a lot better, a lot better. <laughs> so, for as much as I enjoy these shows, I think the movies are a lot better. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about um, uh, a movie that dropped in the theaters with, this week. Um, I know Jake and I got a chance to see it. Uh, Steve, did you see Ambulance? Uh, no, I did not get to see that one. Christ, Joe, I was gonna see it today, and I had a freaking migraine earlier, so I had to cancel my ticket. Oh, Jake, it's just me and you. Um, Needing Actually, I skipped out on it too. Are you serious? No, I'm, I'm kidding. You motherfucker! I, 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 I wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> you know I was being a cunt earlier, and you're still going to hit me with that shit. <laughs> Don't test me, motherfucker! I'm kidding. Um, needing money to cover his m- wife's medical bills, a decorated veteran teams up with his adoptive brother to steal thirty-two million dollars from a Los Angeles bank. However. When their getaway goes wrong, uh, goes spectacularly wrong, the desperate thieves hijack an ambulance that's carrying a severely wounded cop and an EMT worker. Caught in a high-speed chase, the two siblings must figure out a way to outrun the law while keeping their hostages alive. And it's directed and produced by Michael Bay. Um, Jake, there's, I think there's like two types of like Michael Bay 
viewers, people that watch Michael Bay movies. There's like those who remember Michael Bay before he did, you know, 37 Transformers movies and those who know him for only doing 37 Transformers movies. And have you seen him on the interview circuit this week? Yeah, he's been talking a lot about how maybe he shouldn't have made three additional Transformer sequels. I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just there's I think that the ones that think he's a joke post Transformers, I can't get behind those kind of viewers that just like are so dismissive of Michael Bay now just because he made so many goddamn Transformers movies and they were all kind of just, you know, the same fucking movie and ridiculous and not good. I think people forget like this guy in the 90s made just fun action movies. Like this guy made Bad Boys, this guy fucking made um uh oh uh, The Rock, The Rock, Armageddon, thank you. Armageddon. Island. Yeah, like they forget about that shit. So they're just like, okay, you know, Oh, Transformers Michael Bay, you know, like, fuck him. And I mean, I know that this guy can make a fun action movie. Like, I Empire Called Ambulance, listen to this. They said, noisy, messy, and frequently absurd, yet still somehow his most gleefully entertaining effort in at least a decade. And I tend to agree with this 100%. I, I had a blast. I'm going to give this a high taste it. I had a lot of fun in this movie. Um, it uh, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, uh, Isaac Gonzalez, and uh, uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Uh, Dillahunt shows up in this movie as well. And um, this is just like nonstop action. Jake Gyllenhaal just fucking going, you know, chewing the scenery, going fucking ham throughout this movie. And I mean, this movie fucking moves. And yeah, you've got these guys, this heist goes wrong. Um, uh, one of them ends up shooting a police officer. They have to get out of this bank and they end up hijacking an ambulance pretending that they're fucking driving this police officer to the hospital when in all actuality, one of them shot him. And so this high speed chase starts to, to happen. Uh, and it's being filmed by camera crews. You've got so many action stunts in this. It's insane how many fucking real stunts are happening throughout this entire movie. I mean, cars flipping over and, uh, uh, $40 million budget. And they fucking used most of that for, um, real stunts in this movie. And, um, I mean, there's a point in this where, you know, he's, you know, he fucking, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is driving the ambulance and, uh, the EMT has to get, has to perform surgery in a, uh, like, a on this police officer cause he's going to die and she's fucking like FaceTiming with other surgeons and they're telling her how to perform this fucking surgery. She's not a surgeon. She's an EMT. And I was just like, this is insane. This is, it was just fun. It was stupid fun for me. It's, it's, it's definitely a high tasted. I really had a good time watching this. I, I was so pissed though. I didn't get to see it in IMAX. And honestly, I kind of like feel like I kind of got cheated there. I, I actually would want to go back and see this in IMAX. So, um, I can't give it the Tupperware because it just, I mean, as far as Michael Bay movies, it's not up there with Armageddon and The Rock and Bad Boys, but it's, it's, it's probably his best movie in a long time. It's better than that Netflix shit that he did. So I'll give it a high. T- what do you think, Jake? 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a high taste it for me as well. I mean, I agree. I echo a lot of what you're saying. It's not The Rock. It's not Armageddon. But it's still quite a lot of fun. Uh, maybe it runs 30 minutes, you know, past its welcome. But for the most part, I, I was very engaged. Um, it was funny how many, like, meta jokes yes. about other Michael Bay movies were crammed into this. Um, there may have been more than the two I caught, but there's direct references to both Bad Boys and The Rock yeah. in this movie, which was, was kind of funny. A little bit of, you know, <laughs> self-flagellating from uh, Michael Bay. Um, well, I he thought, showed um, up. He, he fucking – Michael Bay showed up in Bad Boys 3. He didn't direct yeah, it, but he showed up in the movie. No, that was hilarious. And yeah. I think it was kind of some goodwill too. Like it made it feel like, okay, it's okay that this is happening without Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought the female lead in this was kind of, was kind of terrible. Um, maybe a better, more engaging female lead could have, could have made this movie a little bit better. I also thought that there was a lot of weird stuff going on with the secondary characters in general. It felt like there was a lot of plot threads that just got just kind of dropped in the last 15 minutes with, uh, some of the secondary like police characters, um, maybe a little bit of an over-reliance on, I saw this in IMAX and, um, like the real car chase sequences were very, very cool. And yeah. all that kind of stuff was just lovely. But, one of the hindrances of IMAX was there was a lot of like spinning helicopter crane shots in this movie. And it actually made me a little bit nauseous by like the fourth or fifth time they were doing these like exposition, like really high up spinning crane shots. Um, I didn't really even understand like what they were establishing. You weren't seeing any of the chasing happening. It was just kind of a, every now and again, a weird city establishing shot. Um, yeah, I, this was a lot of fun though. The, the perfect like popcorn Michael Bay, silly action movie i thought jake gyllenhaal was a great character to root against uh the hero character it definitely worked i definitely got emotional during the middle of the movie when you know he's talking to his to his girlfriend that doesn't really know what's going on yeah she's so proud of him for getting a new job and it, it worked man as silly as the plot conceits were i was wrapped up into the drama and emotion yeah. at all and i was like oh man this dude better figure out a way to get out of this fucking hot mess I like so, how uh, G- Garrett Dillahunt just shows up and he's fucking, you know, he's got that big ass fucking dog in the backseat, <laughs> that dog Nitro. And then the dog later on gets out of the car and they're like, oh, my God, what stinks? And he's like, I f- he fed the dog Moroccan food. <laughs> <laughs> they were, like, I think my audience had a blast, too. There was like a lot of jokes that hit for my audience. They were just loving it. So. Yeah, I saw this movie on Thursday at seven o'clock in IMAX. There was one other person in my theater. I saw it at four on Thursday and there's probably 20 people in my theater and everybody seemed to have a really good time. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen this with a bit more of a crowd. I, I think this would be very good at like getting crowds pumped. Um, yeah, this, this is definitely worth checking out. Put your preconceptions about Michael Bay yes. out the window when it comes to the Transformers stuff. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. When they announced Michael Bay was doing Transformers, I thought he was the perfect fit. I mean, what happened is not my fault, but I was like seeing the other movies and knowing how good he was at like the car chase sequences. I was like, oh, Michael Bay Transformers. It seems perfect. I still think that that first movie was a lot of fun. 
Yes, yes. The second one's the worst of all of them, in my opinion. Yeah, I still think that that first movie is like it's the best of them all, and I think it did do its job as far as far as like introducing the Transformers to the masses. Because I grew up watching Transformers as a kid, my dad did not give a fuck about my animated Transformers, and I can't blame him because it was it was like made for kids. But like once the movie came out, my dad saw it, saw that it was a big action movie with robots and cars and shit. My dad watched it. My dad loved it. My dad was a Transformers fan from that moment on. And I could talk to my, I was talking to my dad about the, the dynamic between Megatron and Starscream. You know, and it, and like he's listening because he wants to know what's going on with these characters so he can get a feel for the characters and stuff. And like it, it really did open the door for Transformers for the masses. Uh, but, you know, we know how all those movies kind of like turned out, but they made fucking so much money in China, Jake. Those fucking Transformers movies made so much money in China. So Yeah, you could see the allure for Michael Bay. It's just like you're printing money. It's hard to walk away. Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Bay, uh, uh, they, Variety quoted him this week. He was talking about uh, the stunts and limited CGI in this movie, and he said, all those explosions and cars flipping, that's all real. That's all live, real ratchets. It looks very dangerous, and it could be very dangerous if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Most of it is real stunts. There's very few blue screenshots on the movie. There's not a lot of CGI. Some of the CGI is shit in this movie. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> There's a couple shots that I was that I wasn't happy with. Okay, all right. So yeah, even Michael Bay is kind of like the Scorsese of action movies. He's like, man, I'm not happy with this shit. That the, some of those CGI shots look terrible. But I was, I was very, I was very happy with the action, dude. The fucking, the real fucking stunts. I was very happy with it. I would have to watch it with an eagle eye a second time to be able to tell you what was CGI. I, there was never any glaring bad CGI that stood out for me. Yeah. So. Maybe, maybe hearing the criticisms and watching it a second time, I, I may notice it, mm -hmm. but, uh, also, uh, real quick before we move on, I, th I thought it was funny that Michael Bay really had something to say against people that wear flip flops. Michael Bay, not a fan of people that wear flip flops. Yeah, so he must have hated fucking Josh Brolin's character in Sicario. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. it does not end up good if you wear flip flops in the Michael Bay universe. No, he never goes to a fucking Margaritaville. I'll tell you that much. Michael, no, no. Michael Bay is full, flipping full business attire. He's flipping tables at a fucking Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's see here. Metal Lords. I want to thank Steve and Joe for not seeing an ambulance. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Metal I feel like Steve is gonna hate ambulance. Oh god, yes. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an awesome 90s storyline plot, but yeah, I haven't been a big fan of Michael Bay at posts like, yeah, Bad Boys are probably what I can't even think of mid 2000 movies that he did before uh, Transformers. Because, yeah, The Rock is great, mm -hmm. but. Yeah. And this was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Metal Lords, uh, this dropped on Netflix. Uh, For teenage misfits, Hunter and Kevin, the path to glory is clear. Devote themselves to metal. Win Battle of the Bands and Be Worshipped Like Gods. It's directed by Peter Sillette and written and produced by D.B. Weiss, uh, executive produced by David Benioff, Bernie Caulfield, and Robin Fisichella. It's the first film to come out of Netflix's partnership with Benioff and Weiss, who made 
uh, Netflix, their creative home to write, produce, and direct new series and films. And uh, we got a cast of Jaden Martell. Isis Hainsworth plays Hunter. That's a that is a uh, no. Is it, no? She plays Emily. Isis Correct. Hainsworth. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded name. Unfortunate name there. Uh, Adrian Greensmith plays Hunter. Uh, Phelan Davis is Skip. Brett Gelman, Dr. Sylvester. And then Joe Manganiello makes an appearance in this as Dr. Troy Nix. Um, yeah, let's hear from uh, one of the guys that didn't go to the theater to watch Ambulance this week. Let's hear. <laughs> I'm going to keep rubbing that in, Jake. <laughs> Salt on that wound. Uh, Joe, what did you think of uh, Metal Lords? I absolutely loved this movie. Um, I loved the movie. Uh, I loved the soundtrack. Um, I, the, the, the characters in this were, were so relatable to me. Like I was the metal kid. I was the awkward metal kid, like in high school. So this, uh, this movie really, really resonated with me. And, you know, it, it had some cliched scenes that would pop up in it. And, and I really liked the character not doing the expected thing and instead kind of doing the right thing. And so that, that made me happy in my little metal geek heart. And, um, the, the character development in this too, with, with the three kids was, was really, really great. Um, I, I thought, uh, 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 Isis, the, the actor who played Emily did such a good job. And I really liked the way they, they tackled her, um, uh, manic depression and in the way that they kind of described that and the way that she described that and in the way that, that, uh, you know, her and Kevin talked about it and stuff. I thought that that was really tactfully handled. Um, but I mean, more than anything, just the soundtrack and the, the, this, I keep saying tracked the soundtrack in this was so good. Um, I- anytime you're going to throw Pantera in a movie, it's going to make me happy. And, this is a movie that I can see watching again and again. I ended up watching this one by myself, but I'm definitely going to be showing this one to my kids at some point too. Um, yeah, this this was great. I, I thought it was a Tupperware. Um, I did not know it was a Benioff and Weiss uh, a venture. So when you said that, I was kind of surprised because I think with with most people they left a sour taste in in the mouth after the way they wrapped up Game of Thrones, but this was a really delightful movie that I look forward to watching again. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Actually, Jake, I want to hear from you next and yeah, tell us a little bit about the movie. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's these three kids and they're kind of social outcast and two of them are starting a death metal band and they're, they're looking for that bass player while trying to kind of fit in and or conform to like high school years. Um, I'm right there with Joe for most of his opinion. I, I absolutely adored this movie. Um, I didn't expect much from it and man, I, I just fell in love with it. It was an absolute Tupperware for me. Uh, I was surprised to look at its Rotten Tomatoes after watching the movie and seeing that how many detractors this movie had. Um, yeah, I don't know what you guys think of it yet, but man, I, I think you'd be hard pressed not to at least crack a few smiles while watching this. Um, I agree that the stuff with the Emily character was handled very, very well. And yeah, I was just sucked into it. Like I loved, I remember that feeling of kind, kind of being that social outcast teen and like going to the cool kids parties for the first times. And I thought this movie did a really good job of like capturing those emotions really well. And uh, yeah, the soundtrack was amazing. Um, 
yeah, this was just a lot of freaking fun. Um, I highly recommend this to anyone, not just like, you know, metal lovers. Yeah. Steve, what'd you think? Uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. I'm at the highest of taste. It's, uh, I love the, the storyline was really good. I, Brett Gelman as the father, you know, I, I, he's always like in that funny role. So it was nice to see him being more of an asshole in this one, like an actual asshole, not like funny asshole. And then, um, yeah, I kind of wish we had more uh, of uh, Emily, Isis Hainsworth's uh, character. I wish we just had more of her because you're introduced to her in the beginning of the movie with a great intro. And then she's kind of pushed to the side for like – I think it's like an hour and a half movie. For the next like 40 minutes, she's not really there because we're dealing with this duo and their band. I just kind of wish we sprinkled a little bit more of her in there. Because uh, you know that like they're, this is going to be the trio by the end of the movie, you know it's 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 pretty like you know uh, paint by numbers in the story of what it is, but it's still like Joe said and and like Jake said, great uh, soundtrack and everything, and yeah, very uh, relatable. Whether you're whether you were listening to metal or not as a kid, I just feel this is very relatable in general. Um, and there, the, there was a great uh, classroom scene that I just couldn't stop laughing at and couldn't believe what was going on. But yeah, there's 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 some there's some good stuff in here that I was really a, a fan of. And uh, yeah, that's all I really got. High t- high highest of taste. Uh, I'm I always love seeing Brett Gelman show up in anything. I'm a big Brett. I think Brett Gelman is yeah. super funny. Um, anything he's in, I'll I'll give it a shot and watch. Um, I love the soundtrack on this one, or as Joe would call it, the soundtrack. Excuse me. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with when me. I, you're fine, dude. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just being a cunt. Um, I'm going to give this a taste it. I, I just wished it was a little bit funnier, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I liked it. I liked the music. I, I think Hunter kind of like – I wasn't the biggest Hunter fan watching this. He was, um, just really self-centered and just the kind of like a huge dick. And I, I guess he kind of like, there's a turn at the end, but, um, I just wasn't the biggest fan of him. I did think it had the cutest, like teenage losing my virginity scene ever between the two characters. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was sweet and adorable. You know, I thought it was like just the most sweet, the sweetest, the most adorable kind of like scene between those two from talking on the phone to like meeting in the parking lot. It was really cute. Um, I love seeing Joe Manganello in this. I love Joe Manganello, but I just like, when I think of like, uh, these like teenage comedies and shit like this, man, like, uh, I, this doesn't, this doesn't rank close. And I know it's not the same thing, but it doesn't even rank close to like super bad, which I fucking put way up there. That's just funny as shit. But, um, I'll give it a taste that I enjoyed it enough. I don't think it's anything I'll ever watch again, but I did think it, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun movie. I'm glad I watched it. So I'll give it a taste that, uh, I just want to add real quick. Hunter reminded me of styles from teen wolf for some reason. It's hilarious. I don't know why, but like that just kept coming up in my head. And then, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Emily. Uh, she looks like I was waiting for the credits to come up and having her be like Olivia Coleman's kid for some reason because she sounds and looks like her. So, but yeah, she was uh, definitely a big standout of the movie. Let's see here. All right, here we go. Next thing. 
Yeah, check out Metal Lords. It's on Netflix, man. Everybody's got a fucking Netflix subscription. Uh, old enough on Netflix. Uh, this is, uh, the Netflix webpage says old enough came out in 2013, but like the years on the episodes are all over the place. So this is a show that originally, uh, aired in Japan. It's, uh, children go on errands. <laughs> All by themselves for the very first time as a camera crew follows along in this beloved long running, long running reality show from Japan. Uh, and, uh, I've watched six episodes. Uh, each episode's anywhere from like, you know, 15 minutes. And I see some of the episodes later on in the season go up to like maybe 20 something, 24 minutes or whatever. But, um, I, uh, I loved this. This is, this is an absolute Tupperware. I, they, it's, it's the cutest fucking little show. Like the, the range of the age of the kids are anywhere from like two years old to four, maybe even five or whatever. But they have these kids do these, you know, tasks that usually like an, a teenager or an adult would do. And they're going out by themselves for the first time. Now they do have a camera crew following them. So it's not like, not like they're being totally unsupervised, but their parents aren't there. And they're, they're doing these tasks on their own. The first boy, it's a two-year-old boy, and we're watching him walk to the grocery store, and he's gotta pick out these three items. He's gotta remember this, these items on this list to get from the grocery store. And, uh, you know, sometimes he'll forget, and he'll, he'll, he'll go back and get the one thing he forgot. But it, it's, it's, it's fucking adorable. It's just fucking adorable. Like, I, if you fucking hate this show, there's something fucking seriously wrong with you. There's something fucking seriously wrong with you if you don't like this show. You're fucking... Oh. You're fu- <laughs> yeah. You're fucking evil. You're fucking evil. You're fucking evil if you don't like this show. It's just cute, man. Uh, by the time I got to, like, episode four, there's a this, this three-year-old girl. She's helping out her mom. She's shopping at a fish market. And she starts talking to people, but she like, before she doesn't want to go and she's crying and the, the mom's getting all emotional. And then like by the time it's over and she's got all this stuff and he shows it to, she shows it to her mom, like her mom is like hugging her and shit. And it's just so fucking adorable, man. And, um, I think it's like some of the kids, it's like, it's showing them a little bit of independence and it's making them, you know, um, they feel good performing these tasks. They, they feel good performing for their parents and doing what their parents ask them to do. And, uh, fucking, uh, online, uh, on Twitter, Gail Simone was talking about how she was loving this show. And it's just fun, man. Jake, you piece of shit. What the fuck, motherfucker? Are you serious? I hated this show. This show was a toss. You're a me. cunt. I, You're like, I was yeah. the cunt. I was the cunt. Fucking the first hour of this podcast. Now you are, you are a gigantic cunt for not, it's the cutest little Japanese kids running errands and you don't fucking yeah, they're, like, they're it, cute and all. It's, it's, I watched the first four episodes of this. Um, yeah, I, I just, I did not care about any of this. I, I think the biggest thing that really made this terrible for me was the narrator. I didn't really understand what he was going for. It was almost like he was doing like, wipe out like jokes on these poor kids like any of the adorable kid stuff was ruined by the narrator like saying nasty terrible stuff about the kids like i don't understand why nasty it, ter- it was a he was a joke he's being snarky and funny 
He's like making fun of the one kid for having a baby face instead of a toddler face and just like, oh, come on, really questioning like their capabilities. And then it's like he says all this terrible stuff. And in all four episodes at the end of the episode, he like has to like redeeming couple of lines. He's like, well, I guess this kid is pretty great. And it's like after eight minutes of ripping on this kid, it's all in just- fun. He's not fucking trying to. <laughs> Get out of here. It seemed like he was going for humor and none of that humor worked for me. And I, I don't know. I just didn't give a shit about any of these fucking kids. Oh, my God. You can go straight to I hell. The fucking, you can go straight to fucking hell. Orange juice, four-year-old fucking kid. I don't I don't give a fucking shit. Oh, my go God. fish market. Like, you, I, nothing could make me watch any more of this show. Jesus Christ. Okay, I bet... I, uh, Steve, just like at the beginning, he's going to agree with you again. Steve, what the? You don't fucking like this either, do you? <laughs> That's a yes for me, Brian. Uh, I didn't even finish the first episode. Jesus hey, Christ! If you made it through four, Brian, I, I texted you. I was like, is this supposed to be some Japanese reality TV show from 2008? And you were like, hold on, let me check. You were like, yes. And I was like, well, I've seen enough. And I stopped before the first episode even ended because I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. These kids are on the side of the road. I'm like, who, where's the supervisor? Like, I'm, I'm waiting for this kid to get run over by a car. I'm just, yeah, Jake, you're right. The announcer is a fucking dick i'm like i don't know what's going on with this narrator but i'm out like i was like watching i'm like this has to be a joke brian did this by accident this is a joke and no you're you're all about I'm like all right well okay i just i don't i don't know it was just like all right timmy take this money and go down the street and everything and like it just i don't know it was just weird i was not for it Okay, uh, okay, so, so far two of the four people on this podcast are terrible people. Joe, go ahead. <laughs> Joe. That's a lot of pressure, Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, I, I am, I guess, a founding member now of this trinity of a cunt committee that we've got because I fucking hated this. Oh my <laughs> god, what the fuck? I fucking- I'm so dumb. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I watched this first episode, and within, like, the first three minutes, I'm, like, yelling at my family to come in the room. I'm like, you have to see what a fucked up fucking concept of a show this is. They're, they're sending a two-year-old out on errands. Like, what, do, do they not have kid fuckers in that country? Like, I couldn't imagine sending my my kids out to go do shit like that. I mean, like... Like, I wasn't even sending them to, like... You act like, like they're fucking sending a kid out into the woods to kill a wolf. They're fucking... <laughs> they, they, they fucking have to walk down the street and shit, and they got a camera crew following them. Tiny little... And that was the one thing that kept me from freaking out with anxiety the whole time watching when there's a camera crew there. They're not just going to film this kid wandering into traffic. He had to cross a busy fucking highway. They, 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 they got people with Joe. They're not going to let a kid get hit by a fucking car. It will not air it, at least. And, well, and, and that's what I kept reassuring myself to get through this first episode. And then when it was done, and, I, and also, yeah, with the narration, I'm like, what is this? This, And I know Japanese shows are, you know, wild, you know, compared to it. Like, American shows are pretty fucking boring in comparison to Japanese reality shows. And so I had that in the back of my mind, too, that, you know, this is just not something that, that I was prepared to see. But And I think I was putting too much of myself as a parent into this and just looking at how young that kid was and go, that isn't a kid you send out on errands. But you guys act like the fucking narrator was like fucking Jeff Ross doing a comedy roast. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. It wasn't that bad. Spirited. It was yeah. not that bad. 
Oh my god, you guys are fucking out of your minds. No, it's like they get, you must have watched a different subtitle track than we did because I, I thought it was very mean spirited. Well, I'm I, I must be the meanest person on the planet because like what he was saying was not mean. It was just fucking cute and fun. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I thought for sure you put it on the list because we were going to talk about what a fucked up concept. No, I fucking love this show. I love fucking seeing these kids going out on their own and do. And, it's, and the fucking parents are like, uh, they're like, they're you know, the kids are worried. Like the the parents are worried about them, and some of the kids just have fun. Like epi- what was it? Episode fucking five. Two kids are just running around and playing and shit. It was. I had a blast. I love just watching. <laughs> it's funny just to watch kids to see what they do when they don't have adults around and they can just be kids. And I, and, and still I, I was amazed that some of them could do some of these tasks by themselves and it made them feel a little bit more independent. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I don't know, man. I, when I, I might watch episode nine where it looks like this two year old girl goes to buy her mom cigarettes. Yeah, they got, they got, they got, they got fucking kids going out there and buying crack for their parents and shit, Jake. Get the fuck. You guys are, this is a sweet. Whatever fu- it takes to fucking add anything to this board fest. Oh my God. I love this show. I can't wait to watch all 20 episodes. Fuck you guys. Oh my God. <laughs> you heartless motherfuckers. Oh my God. You're going to think, you act like they're going to send kids out there to die. Fucking ha- have them walking straight in the traffic and shit. Hey, walk- it's subtitled too, so you really have to pay attention to this shit to get anything out of it, unless you're fluent in Japanese. I'm sorry you had to read, Joe. You wrote a <laughs> well, fucking I, book. Jesus I, Christ! But if this was just something I could have on in the background, no, even then I wouldn't watch it. But at least it would be a <laughs> fucking saving grace on it. But it's like it's like now this is gonna take a hundred percent of my focus, and I'm just gonna. I, yeah, I, yeah. It's cool that you liked it, dude. I'm glad it works for somebody. It works you and Gail Simone. Yeah, me and Gail Simone. The rest of the company. world apparently thinks it's terrible. <laughs> We're I, all dicks, I, but you and Gail Simone. <laughs> I did the same thing Joe did. I, was, I called my wife. I was like, "You gotta see this. You gotta see what this is." <laughs> oh my god! I just I think it's adorable. I just like watching little kids like do fucking little chores and like fucking tasks for their parents. I think it's cute. I like seeing the parents and them reunite when they get it all done and the parents are sometimes crying and the kids it's I think it's cute. You guys have no fucking hearts. Jesus the Christ. Crying because their two year old was taken away from them to go on a on a chore on a quest. Oh yeah, they they they, they yeah, like fucking uh, Liam Neeson has to hunt these kids down, Steve. No, they they're just fucking walking to the store down the street and buying fish. Jesus Christ. The fish is as big as two. Yeah, like, like they're sending these kids like on in, in the Indiana Jones quest and they gotta come back with some golden monkey skull. Get the fuck out of here. They're buying a bag of Cheetos. Fuck off, Steve. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, I, I told you I'm gonna be a cunt. Let's move on to the next thing. Cause I can't, I can't handle this. Um, <laughs> don't worry, Jake. We'll take a break after this next one. Okay. You got, speaking of toddlers, Jake has the fucking bladder of one. Um, <laughs> Hopefully some narrators and shit all over me while I go take a piss. Well, they won't be able to. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to be nice. Um, let's talk about Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off. Uh, this is a uh, documentary that dropped on HBO Max uh, about uh, skateboarder Tony Hawk. Follow famous skater Tony Hawk's per- personal life career and relationship 
with skateboarding, including never-before-seen footage and unprecedented access to Hawk, along with interviews with figures from the skateboarding world, uh, directed by Sam Jones. And, um, yeah, let's see here. I want to... Yeah, I want to get into this one. Um, Jake, what did you think about this? I I love this. This was an absolute Tupperware for me. Um, I was surprised at how much ground this was able to cover and still have such a good narrative flow throughout the whole thing. It's, you know, very much about Tony Hawk and who he is and where he comes from and his life story, but kind of mixed in, you get kind of the rise and fall of skateboarding as a fad and just the toll that took on the people that it provided a livelihood to. And I thought that aspect of it, I did not really know that that was going to be so much of the focus. And I, I was really, really interested by it. I had just never thought about that. Like all these people are making all this money, you know, hand over fist. And then the industry just kind of boom, just dies out. And I just really never thought about what that meant for everyone. Um, loved seeing a lot of the footage. I'd never seen a lot of it before. Um, and just hearing from Tony and just hearing the, the determination that he has and just, uh, thinking a lot about like our bodies and the aging process and what that means when you're doing like such a physical sport like skateboarding and and just the footage of how determined he was when he was trying to pull off a lot of those tricks i i was really moved by a lot of this um i thought a lot of his peers had a lot of really great stories about him uh it just seemed so genuine um yeah, this this was absolutely fantastic. If if you've ever played a fucking Tony Hawk video game, you you have to watch this doc on HBO. It's it's well worth your time. Yeah, man. Like the I was blown away by uh I like them I like them showing, you know, his his uh mother and his, you know, other siblings were like in the documentary too. Um his mother's like in a in a home getting special care now, but like she had him when she was 43. He's the youngest of all of his siblings. So, I mean, like his, oh, I think like his, he's got a sister who's like 20 years older than him. So, um, I love seeing how, uh, the, the relationship that he had with his dad was interesting. Like his dad was like the one that was putting together a lot of these competitions. So a lot of the skaters thought he was getting preferential treatment, especially when he would win, they thought it was because of, of his dad's influence because his dad was like the one kind of like putting on these skateboarding competitions. And of course, as you watch the documentary, the documentary, that's not the case here. The Dwayne Peters interview was just like that first interview with Dwayne Peters where he's talking about, um, you know, how, how when he was younger, you know, Tony says that Dwayne Peters spit on his grip tape and, and treated Tony and his dad like shit. And then you get to that second interview and I was just like, man, I got, I had Dwayne Peters all wrong. This guy, this guy really does love Tony. And, um, it, a, a lot of the stuff, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, um, they started talking about some of the early skaters, like in like the, the seventies and they're talking about the guys. Have you ever, have you guys seen the document? It's a documentary and a movie. Um, there's the Lords of Dogtown, which yeah. I think is the movie. And I think Heath Ledger's in that one. And then there's Dogtown and Z-Boys, which is the documentary, I believe. Or I might have that. You're, you've got it right. Yeah. I, I've seen I've seen both. Both yeah. are so good. They're both good. And I think those are really if – if you liked this, I would highly recommend seeking those out because I think they're kind of like 
companion pieces to this uh, in a way very adjacent because like a lot of those guys are you know featured in in this documentary so yeah dogtown and z boys and lords of dogtown definitely check those out um but yeah his determination man and the way that the sport kind of fell off and and he just kept sticking with it and i remember like when uh skateboarding came back in those fucking x games and it was a big fucking deal um, that kind of changed everything. So I, this is an absolute Tupperware for me. I, I thought it, I thought it was fantastic. I, I found it really inspiring too, honestly, not just on a skateboard level, just in all aspects of life. I was actually really moved and inspired by this doc. Like even when it comes to like doing pop culture leftovers, just like, you know, him, you know, saying, don't get caught into it. Like being, you know, the same old, same old, like always go out there and always try to do your best. And it, I don't know. It really just kind of like made me emotional and think like, you know, everything you do should be your best version of, of that thing. Like you should always strive for excellence. And I, I just thought it was a beautiful film. Yeah. 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 Uh, Joe, did you watch this? Yes. Yeah. I'd been really looking forward to this one coming out, kind of been counting down the days on it. And this was a total Tupperware for me. I mean, growing up, like Tony Hawk was like my hero. Like I, I grew up in this rural town in Iowa and me and a few of my friends were like literally the only people in this town that skateboarded. And so we were, we were like the young hooligan villains, you know, in, in the eyes of a lot of the people in this small town and watching skate videos of, of Tony Hawk and, and looking through like Thrasher magazine and stuff and, and hanging out with some of the older kids who were like, yeah, there was like another group of, of kids that were oh probably like eight years older than us or so that were really fucking good at skateboarding. So like, we'd kind of just be hanging out and watching them doing their things, you know, like Ollie and over bicycles and shit like that, doing stuff that was just really blowing our minds. And we we're just kind of going around. We could barely jump curbs and stuff, but you know, like having somebody to like, you know, like Tony Hawk, just knowing that there was this pinnacle of excellence that could do all these really rad, mind blowing tricks out there, like was really, you know, inspiring for us as kids. And and like you were saying, Brian, I remember that X Games and then and then seeing Tony Hawk and then and then, you know, down the road then when he landed the 900. I remember that um, when Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out like that video game. I was so obsessed with it for so long. And like, I don't know. So like, I, I just feel like as long as I can remember, like Tony Hawk has just like been like this, you know, presence in my life, this, this name that I've always associated with awesome. Yeah. And, and like wa- even watching yeah. uh, gleaming the cube, he shows up in that movie. That's mm. right. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Slater. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this doc was, it was a total Tupperware, man. I, I absolutely loved it. The soundtrack for this was fucking rad. Also, if you're into punk rock, like, you've got to check this out for the soundtrack, if nothing else. Um, I loved how we kept getting shots also of, you know, his current day setup where he's got that giant vert ramp set up in that warehouse that, that he owns or whatever. And it just keeps showing him trying and failing over and over and over again. And it, it really reinforces this thing that I'm a big believer in, in that pain and failure are some of the greatest teachers in life. And like Tony Hawk is just an embodiment of that. Um, the way that Rodney Mullen describes it, um, oh, fuck, I should have written down exactly what he said because it was so eloquent. But basically this, this method of just being able to 
dial something into the point where it's like you're making these minute adjustments. And so each time you're failing, you're really just learning, okay, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And then when they were talking about the 900 in that it really comes down to just 100% commitment. It's not can you do it. It's can you 100% commit to doing that. And like I can relate to that so much because I remember – when I used to climb all the time and I was practicing this bouldering move called like a double dyno, it's where you literally like leap off the wall and with both hands reach up and grab the next hold. And it doesn't work unless you a hundred percent fucking commit to it. If there's like a sliver of doubt in your mind that you're not going to be able to do it, you won't and you're going to land flat on your back. And so when they were talking about that and this, it was like, I was really resonating with it. And I mean, the guy's just got such an amazing, work ethic when it comes to this thing that he's stuck with his entire life. Um, I, I don't know if you guys know, but after this doc came out, he actually broke his leg really, really bad to the point where it may, you know, be the nail in this and nail in the coffin to his skating anymore. But, um, so I was, I wasn't sure if they were going to cover that or not, even mm. in text at the end of the, yeah. uh, the doc. But, um, yeah, dude, I absolutely loved this. I, I think Tony Hawk, and also you hear these stories too that Tony Hawk is like this celebrity, like on par with Keanu Reeves. That you know nobody's ever had a negative celebrity experience with Tony Hawk. That he's just a super cool, down to earth guy, and and I feel like this documentary really did a good job of portraying who he is. And I hadn't seen those things you mentioned before about the the Lords of Dogtown and in those two things. So yeah. I'm going to be checking those out. Definitely, yeah. The document oh, love them. The documentary is fantastic. Heath Ledger is really good um, in the in the movie as well. And um, I was looking it up, but uh, I, I think as far as I could find out, the 900 only four people have ever landed it. Yeah, there's like some little kid that most reason I saw a video did, on Reddit. I showed that to Jake actually. It's this kid uh from Brazil. His name's Guy Curry. He's twelve years old. He was the first person to ever land a ten eighty on a vertical ramp. Holy shit. He did it in competition while Tony Hawk was watching. Oh, and that's incredible. It looks like, you know, I mean, we talk about CGI in movies. It looks like it's CGI because it's like, how can someone do that? Jake, it was fucking insane, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I, it was it was wild. I watched it like six times in a row. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, man. It's fucking wild. It's like, how did this kid pull it off? It's unreal. And the kid starts crying afterwards, man. Just very emotional, very emotional. What's cool about like this sport and like the early days when it was coming up, like everybody was trying to do like, I mean, we're talking about nine hundreds. This kid doing a ten eighty, but before that, there was the McTwist, which was the five forty, and there was one guy that did it. And basically, if you didn't learn how to do a McTwist, you're out of the sport. Like, you've been in competitions, you've been ranking top five, but now that this one guy has come out and he can do the McTwist, he can do a 540, if you don't learn that McTwist, you're out of the sport. Your days are numbered. It's evolving. So if somebody comes up like with a new trick, it can change the entire sport. And it's just like that kind of blew me away about how the how skateboarding has always been constantly evolving. Because think about it, this twelve year old kid can now do the ten eighty. Nobody else is going to be able to do that. Like, and if he can pull that off in competition, like who's going to be able to? Who's going to be able to? Who's going to be able to stand up to this kid? And you know, you've got it. It's crazy how this sport is evolving and how they're always coming up with new tricks. Steve, did you get a chance to watch this? Yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, documentary. I thought it was really good. Um, really just 
Yeah, I I, I watched the movie um uh, in theaters that you're talking about, and it was just really it was really cool to see. And uh, yeah, his um Tony Hawk's life for some reason for me reminded me a lot of uh, Michael Jordan's, where he's the youngest sibling by a, a, a big age difference too. Like you're saying with his mom being 42, I believe Michael Jordan also was very young compared to his other siblings as well. And then just how his father got involved. And I'm sure that, you know, he, it was always, it, it created a lot of friction, but I'm sure that helped him just stay in the sport in general, the support from his parents and everything. And then uh, I loved how like uh, his older brother in the interview realized that if his dad was still, uh, involved with when Tony did the 900, he wouldn't have been able to do it because the rules wouldn't have been the same. So I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of wish that we had more skaters being interviewed about Tony Hawk. I was really surprised that there wasn't that many people being interviewed. That's because I I grew up with these video games. You know, I I remember being at my friend's house who was a huge skater fan. I had a couple of skateboards myself growing up. Like I remember seeing him do the 900 the summer after he did it because he did it in 99. I remember the summer of 2000 or 2001 and seeing them being like, wow, like seeing my friend's basement and everything and just like, like you're saying, like it's all about like what tricks can you do? And like the more tricks you can do is just the better. And I had no idea there's over a hundred different types of tricks. I, I never played anything past Tony Hawk pro skater two, but it was really cool to see that like that warehouse is a real place. <laughs> Cause I, I didn't know that was real. So I thought that was <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't the, the biggest skater fan, but like for just a general uh, fan, it was really cool just to see it all. Um, but yeah, I think just I wish there were more skaters and just people in that world talking about Tony Hawk, whether because they got a lot of like guys that were older and like in like the 80s and everything. But it would have been I thought it would have been cool to see it a bit more and maybe also people from like um I'm forgetting his name now, but there's that Dave, someone that's like in the BMX world. I remember in the late nineties. Yeah, Dave Mira. Dave Mira. It would have been cool. Yeah, um, but the thing like, is, the thing it's a Tony Hawk talk, and I think they wanted to get people that were close to Tony Hawk throughout. Yeah, the and that makes a lot of sense. But it was just like once they started, because once because I didn't realize like it was like all the way back from like the eighties, early eighties, he was doing all this. I I honestly didn't realize he was actually. Like, it's like it's like it, like it starts with him like. Picking up the board, I think in seventy nine, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. But like, I just couldn't believe that like he just like that like he was that old in general, and um, yeah, like they they covered a lot from the from the early years. It just I thought it would have been cool. And they only had two hours. I understand they only have so much time and everything, but it was really good overall. I had a great time just watching it. It felt very. Nostalgic. I think what you're asking for is a different documentary where they're just talking about the sport. I feel like they, what they did here was no, like, no, I wanted, I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear more people talk about Tony Hawk's influence on them. I didn't want more on the sport. I wanted more people because Tony Hawk is huge. Like, like, like this documentary was talking about, I just thought it would have been cool if we had more famous uh, athletes, whether in just like the X Games in general, just coming in, just talking about it, because that that's all. I'm not. It's not the biggest negative or anything. I'm just, you know, it would have been nice to just see a bit more of uh, that world talk about him because he is, you know, huge. He is the Michael Jordan of skateboarding, yeah. you know. So. You know, that, yeah. that's all. That's I got all. you. I got you. I, I, I didn't, I just wanted to, I'm glad you clarified that for me. Yeah. 
Um, what, what are you rating it? I'm going to high taste it. Man, man, this is an absolute Tupperware for me. I, 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 I thought it was just a fantastic documentary. So, what yeah, else? this is my favorite thing I watched all week, easily. I'm, I'm going with old enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh oh I'm boy. kidding. I'm kidding. Jesus Christ, settle down. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, man, yeah, I thought that this was, I thought this was a really good documentary. So, um, I guess, uh, Jake, you met him. You told me about this. I did. We were actually at the Six Flags in St. Louis on the opening day of his roller coaster ride. And, um, we ran into him in line at the free fall. And actually talk to him. Um, he was so nice to us. Um, I got a picture with him on my uh, on my flip phone, which is completely useless now. Like I, it's too bad we didn't have the smartphones back then, and I could have this memory. Um, we weren't going to go see his demonstration because the person I was with had no interest in it. And I told Tony Hawk that that was why we weren't going to go see his demonstration. And then he shamed the uh, person I was with into feeling bad about that. And we ended up getting front row seats for his demonstration and uh, <laughs> seeing Tony Hawk in person on like the half pipe ramp is one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, like the person I went with had no interest in it whatsoever, but when, when it was over, like they were just as moved as everyone else was just, just by seeing it. And uh, yeah, Tony was just so nice. Like I, I even brought it up to him. I'm like, he, he was there with his family, obviously. And I'm like, you know, Hey, I don't, I hope I'm not bothering you. I don't mean to be it. And he, couldn't have been more gracious. Uh, we talked about the differences between the uh, Six Flags in Chicago and in St. Louis. He mm-hmm. was obviously very into the whole roller coaster scene. And, yeah, it, it's one of the best celebrity interactions I've ever had, if not the best. That's cool, dude. Yeah, it's a fun ride, too, man. It's a fun little ride. It's an okay – I'm not a big fan of rides that spin you around and make you dizzy. It's kind of like a tilt-a-whirl yeah. aesthetic on like a roller coaster that goes up and down ramps. So you're yeah. doing up and down ramps while the whole thing is like spinning around in circles. And, uh, it, it was fun enough, but I think well, it's, man. it's a fun little in between coasters ride for me. You know, I agree. I yeah. agree. It's not one of the ones you need to do more than once, but it's definitely worth checking out. I believe it's been rebranded and it's called pandemonium now huh. but it's it's the exact same ride they just yeah. took all the skateboard graphics off of it and they like their their tony hawk like license ran out right now yeah. Uh, yeah that shit was super cool and they were doing the stuff where like guys were doing like bike tricks at the same time tony hawk was doing the skateboard tricks like they talk about that a bit in the doc too yeah that was just so wild to see that close and in person and like the the danger aspect really hits you there you're just like oh my god anyone could get hurt any moment here there's a lot going on i mean i've been to like fucking like monster truck rallies in the past i would much rather see the tony hawk show that they put on it's like it's it's less noisy it looks like it's a lot more fun um and yeah dude we were you know like those like steel barricades that they put up at like concerts yeah like we were standing right behind that and the ramp was right in front of that like i you couldn't have been closer to this thing it was just so wild to like actually have to tilt your head and look straight up when it was going up and down (laughs) each side like it it was just crazy didn't he do didn't he you know that fucking where he does the when he goes through like the circle loop you know that fucking where he fucking goes upside down through that loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't he do that in one of the Jackass movies? 
I think he I, did. I don't remember that. I swear but. it was like Jackass 2 or 3 he fucking did that shit. Right, Joe? I think he did. Well, when it showed that, I was like, I know I've seen this before, but I've also seen so much Tony Hawk footage yeah. that it kind of blurs in my mind where it's from. Yeah. But yeah, I knew I'd seen that thing with the ramp before. And as soon as you said jackass, I was like, oh, that feels like that was right. Yeah, he did a he did a really good interview with Rogan a couple of years ago. Did you hear that, Joe? Yeah, he was also recently on um, a podcast called The Honeydew okay. that uh, a comedian uh, named uh, Ryan Sickler puts on. And that was a really great episode. I kept thinking it was funny when Joe kept asking him about like his like diet and exercise and like Tony's basically like he Tony doesn't like lift weight. Who's doing dishes over there? No, sorry, I killed my drink. Those I <laughs> that's right. fine. No, go ahead and kill your drink. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but yeah, he he really didn't like do like this crazy like exercise like weightlifting and any like yoga none of that yoga shit i don't think i mean i it really just sounded like he was just like like a like skateboarding from like what i can remember that interview yeah what do you do to get strong for skateboarding i skateboard 24 7 yeah yeah <laughs> like what better way to get strong for skateboarding than to skateboard it's cra- yeah joe kept trying to press him trying to figure out like how do you do this like there's got to be something else and he's like nope i just skateboard <laughs> yeah, take supplements it, it, and throwing kettlebells around yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I mean, the muscles that you need to work out for skateboarding are going to get worked out the best by skateboarding. So, like, it, it makes a lot of sense. What well, else they, can you do? I mean, he started off as like this, and he he's like, you know, lean and lanky kid. Now he's like a lean and lanky adult. He just, I think, he just got the muscles that he needed to get stronger for the sport. Just kind of got stronger the more he did it. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if he would have been weightlifting and all this other shit, it might have actually affected. His skateboarding, you know, it might have. That's true. Yeah. When you're talking about that 12 year old, I wonder if they'll be able to do the 1080 in like five years from now. Like if they'll grow and not just physically be able to spin that fast. Yeah, or get up, get get that kind of height. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that's a great point. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was just like, I don't know if once you once you get to like the size of like an adult man, if you're going to be able to fucking pull that trick off at that point. I mean. Yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back and we've got some more good pop, bad pop. Often, and if you don't join the pop culture leftovers Patreon, we will eat both of your arms and then both of your legs, and then we will eat your face right off your head. You will be this armless, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. Head over to Patreon.com and join now for only $6 a month. All right. Hey, we are back and we've got more good pop, bad pop. Uh, this one is uh, – who got a chance to watch uh, any of uh, Pachinko on Apple TV? I did. I, I did. did not. Okay. Joe – What's going on, buddy? <laughs> yeah, ambulance and, and yeah. Pachinko were, were my misses this week. Sorry about that. What's what's going on with your time management, bud? <laughs> something we need to talk about. <laughs> 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 
adapted from Min Lee, Min Jin Lee's 2017 novel, Apple TV Plus's latest drama series, Pachinko, is the story of one Korean family, or more accurately, one woman and the family that grows around her, and how they endured the aftermath of Japanese occupation. It's created by Sue Hu, based on the novel of the same name, by Manhattan-based author and journalist Min Jin Lee. The series is directed by Koganada and Justin Chan, and stars Yoon Ja Young, Lee Minho, Kim Minha, and Jin Ha. And, uh, yeah, in, uh, 1910, Japan annexed Korea and, uh, this annexation turned into a 35 year occupation marked by the extraction of Korean resources and erasure of Korean culture, sexual slavery of Korean women and forced removal of millions of Korean citizens to places all over the globe, including Japan. And, um, yeah, this, uh, this, uh, chapter one, when I, I've only seen the first episode, my biggest fucking problem right now with Apple TV, I love the service is that for some reason, it's the only service that won't play in my bedroom. Cause it's on the, it's on the farthest side of the house. And so I have to watch this one either in the living room or the other bedroom. And I hate watching TV in both of those rooms. And so it, Sometimes it'll play and sometimes it won't. So it only played for me the first episode. Now when I try to play the second episode, it says video will not load. So I will get back to this. Um, but, um, I've only seen the first episode. I, I think, I believe they dropped three or four that first week. Um, and, uh, it's the first episode where in 1915 Japanese occupied Korea and, um, you, you you meet a woman um who uh um her three previous children had had died and she's um with i think it's like a a marriage out of convenience not out of love and but you find out that the the man that she's with is a very sweet man and a very good father to their to the to the unborn child that she does have that's healthy does she go she goes to like a korean shaman and kind of like makes a deal or something? What was it? Like there was a curse in her family and they lifted the curse or something? Yes. I mean, that's just good enough description. That's, that's all I got from it. Okay. But this is, uh, I mean, this basically, it, it jumps back and forth between, uh, this woman in the, you know, early 1900s and then to like her grandson in the 1980s. And we're getting to see, um, kind of like the evolution of, of her family. And we're getting to see, you know, uh, um, Japanese occupied Korea here, um, during these times. And, um, I, uh, I really enjoyed the, the first episode quite a bit. I think as far as like, uh, um, I mean, this is real history. As far as a history lesson, this is very compelling and I can't wait to watch the rest of this series. I, I think that, uh, I mean, as far as I, are these, I, are these actual true stories? Yes. Wow. God damn. It's, I think it's, I think it's really well shot. Will it really well directed, really well acted. And, um, it's, it's unfortunate how, um, the Korean men, women and children were treated by the Japanese during this time. It's really, it's heartbreaking. Um, Jake, what did you think? 
Yeah, I liked this quite a lot, too. Um, this, it was quite a stark history lesson. I, I really did not know anything about, um, you know, how the Koreans and the Japanese got along before watching this and kind of doing a little bit of research. So it was a little bit of just like, you know, a, a shell shock at, at just this section of history that I, w- I was unfortunately blind to. Um, I had a bit of a problem with the first episode that wasn't the show's problem. I think it was more my problem that I was an idiot. And it, it took me way too long to realize what was going on with the jumping around between times and the fact that we were seeing one of the same characters being portrayed by a different actor throughout the time. Like I actually went back and rewatched the first episode after getting 40 minutes in on my first time, realizing that like I was supposed to know that kind of from the get go. And I just kind of missed it from being an idiot. And once I rewatched it, I, I enjoyed it a lot more when I was able to kind of follow the narrative of what was going on with all the different time jumping. Um, and then I watched the second episode as well and, um, yeah, it's very strong. I, I think I would like to just wait until this was all out and, and watch it all at once. It's a, it's a lot to take in. Like, there's a lot of information dropped on you. Um, as Brian alluded to, a lot of this is uh, real-life stories. Uh, it's based off a book that was written by a journalist, um, you know, based off a lot of different writings that they studied and found. Um, yeah, th- this is really well done. It has a great um, – opening sequence too this has been uh, with peacemaker and now this this has been the year of uh kind of fun dance number opening sequences and uh the opening sequence really doesn't like give you a good taste of what like kind of the feeling of this show is in any way whatsoever but it's still very fantastic and i'll never skip it yeah yeah steve what'd you think yeah i thought it was uh it was really good i only saw the first episode but i do want to return uh, I'm at a, uh, I, I'm at a high taste it just because I only saw the pilot episode, but I thought it was really, really well done, um, with the back and forth. My biggest gripe was with, um, Apple TV plus because I can't stand both subtitles and dub. So I had to like change my setting to Japanese audio to get proper, uh, subtitles. Uh, just because it just it was really annoying me how they would the subtitles would be correct, but then they'd be talking with English dub, and I just I can't stand that. So I had a because it just it's, it doesn't match the subtitles, and just it doesn't it doesn't flow for some reason for me. So I had to figure that out like ten fifteen minutes and had to switch all that up. But otherwise, uh, I did like the the format. Uh, but are you guys saying there's a different? Is there a different character in episode two? Is this an anthology? No, 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 no. It's all it's all the same. Character. When you jump to the 1980s, you meet the same young girl. What's her name? Sunja. You meet her as uh, as a grandmother, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's all we're saying. I thought uh, what Jake was. I thought just like with episode two, I thought we were going to follow like other people or something, just like that. That's all. But no, I'm. Ex- it definitely back. focuses on, on characters that didn't get as much of a focus in episode one, but it's, they're characters that existed in that first episode. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to this one, but I'm going to have to watch it in another fucking room because my fucking internet sucks. So, 
<laughs> I was obsessed with pachinko when I was a young kid. One of my one of my friends had a pachinko machine and with all the little ball bearings and everything. And I, I was very aware of it at a very young age. It was always anytime I saw pictures or videos of like the pachinko bars, I was really into that. Just the the lights and the sounds and I always thought it was really neat. It's like a little bit of a big brother to pinball. See, I was obsessed with Plinko, Jake, on the Prime. They're very right. similar. <laughs> really? I don't know. I, don't I know. mean, Plinko, I think the name is is derived from the name Pachinko. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's sense. it's a ball bearing falling down. Like, you drop the ball bearings in, and they go down all the different pathways and everything. Like, Plinko is definitely comes from Pachinko. Speaking of balls, did you guys know that there's an episode of Three's Company where you can see Jack Tripper's balls? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not even making this up. It's in season eight. Why, why would you? I'm not making this up. It's in season eight. Hold on. Three's company. <laughs> season eight. They, they were like, we, we've got nothing left. Put his balls on the screen. If you do a search for Three's company balls, the first thing that comes up is, and the third, first and only thing that come up on Google, Three's company's Jack's balls. John Ritter, <laughs> John Ritter flashes the camera. After John Ritter's testicles were briefly visible in an episode of Three's Company. Yeah, listen, the next article is, is, uh, did you know John Ritter showed his nuts on national TV? <laughs> Nin- <laughs> That's a headline. 1983 episode. And uh, what happened was, is like, there's a scene where like he's in the, he's in the bedroom and he's got, he's wearing like underwear and he's taking his socks off. And when you take your socks off, it kind of like, when a guy takes his socks off, you're standing up, you're taking your socks off. Pops a little hole in your, in your, in your, in your underwear and you could see through. And for like the first like 13, 15 years of this episode being aired, you know, like on syndication, nobody noticed it until somebody finally noticed it. And, uh, yeah, it's been infamous ever since. John Ritter's balls. Yeah, that's hilarious. I'm reading stuff about it now. The president of Nickelodeon was actually quoted talking about it, saying, yes, his scrotum falls out of his shorts. (laughs) (laughs) He marveled that the episode had been ran so many times without anyone noticing the blooper and said that Nickelodeon would snip the offending bit from future repeats. So as far as Nick at Night goes, eventually they caught on and took it out. But they they aired it quite a lot. When they aired that episode, they called it Dick at Night is what they called those. uh, (laughs) It was a special. Dick at Night. I, it has an ironic name for the episode. It's called The Charming Stranger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I love that it took some savvy, quick-eyed crotch watcher to catch it years later. No shit. Yeah, somebody was checking out Jack's junk, and they saw that shit, dude. Yeah, yeah I saw the screenshots. I, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Conan O'Brien, like, interviewed him in 2003 about it, and... uh yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny, man. And um yeah, I think he, I think John John died like 6 months after that interview with Conan. Very I'm I miss John Ritter. Oh yeah, he was great. So funny. So funny. That was one funny. of those celebrity deaths that hit me really hard. Yeah. I remember Lindsay and I at the time were had been watching all of 8 Simple Rules to Yeah, 8 Simple Rules, right? Yeah. And yes. Because they had to hastily write his death into the show even and it oh. was Oh yeah, yeah. John Ritter's one of those dudes that I grew up with, you know, and he that was a celebrity death that hit me really hard. He's still like he's still to this day. I'll 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 pop on an episode of Three's Company, and 
I will still just be like laughing out loud at his physical comedy. He is just so fucking super talented and funny. Oh my God. John Ritter is so funny. Um, Oh, Julia, Julia dropped it. Yeah. We talked about John Ritter's balls. You never know. <laughs> you, you, you never know what you're going to get on PCL. You know what I mean? Anyway, I saw him. Yeah, Jake saw. <laughs> Jake saw the balls. Julia. I was tempted, but I was like, I'm not Googling Sean Ritter's balls. Oh, man. I, know. I was like, fuck it. I'm Fuck gonna, you, Google. I'm going to go to posterburner.com and make you a poster of John Ritter's balls, Joe, and send it to you in the mail. It's going to be a 24 by 36 of John Ritter's nutsack. I'll tell you, if I get a tube, <laughs> the return address is fucking leftover Brian. I'll proudly display John Ritter's balls in my garage. Dude, at C- I'm going to be handing you this shit at C2V2. <laughs> And I'm gonna, uh, and I'm, I'll be teabagging it when I present it to you. <laughs> uh, Julia dropped on HBO Max. They dropped three episodes. Speaking of speaking of things that drop, fucking John Ritter's balls in that episode. Three's Company. Three's Company two. Two. They should have called it Two's Company that episode, right? <laughs> Uh, Julia is inspired by Julia Child's extraordinary life in her long-running television series, The French Chef, which pioneered the modern cooking show. Through Julia's life, the series explores a pivotal time in American history, the emergence of public television as a new social institution, feminism and the women's movement, the nature of celebrity and America's cultural evolution. At its heart, the series is a portrait of a loving marriage with a shifting power dynamic. It's created by Daniel Goldfarb, and uh, this one's on HBO Max, just simply called Julia. And we've got a cast of Sarah Lackenshire as Julia Child. Oh, God. David Hyde Pierce as Paul Child. Uh, B.B. Newworth, uh, Franz Kahn's Fiona Glascott, and Brittany Bradford. Um, yeah, uh, I... I did, I binged all three episodes. I told my mom to watch this. I was like, Mom, there's a Julia Child show on HBO Max. I knew my mom would love this shit. You know? My mom's always looking for something to watch. I was like, there's a Julia Child show. And she's, she's like, fucking, like, two hours later, she'd already watched it, too. But, um, I, I, dude, I'm fucking, I, this is an absolute Tupperware, in my opinion. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's going through, like, the whole, I, it really is getting into like her marriage. It's getting into like she had this successful cookbook. And then, I mean, now she's starting to get into TV and like the, the links that she had to go to get this show on the air. Uh, she had to basically pay for it herself, the pilot episode. And, uh, it's all the men in uh, most of the men. I think like the, the head of the station had believed in her after he saw it and he saw his wife's reaction to watching the show. But like most of the men that were, you know, executives and producers, um, for this like uh cable access, uh, station just in, in Boston didn't believe in her and, um, basically thinking she's going to be a one and done. And, um, that first episode, they thought it was going to be an absolute uh, train wreck, and they felt that it was a train wreck, and then people really, really enjoyed it. I think it's got really great moments of 
comedy. There's like, she makes a chicken on the first episode and like, she makes a joke like it's the best cock you'll ever put in your mouth or whatever. I thought that that was funny. <laughs> um, she starts to make money to pay for the pilot. She starts doing cooking classes on the side and you see like, there's a scene where like a woman, uh, whose mom had recently died and she took this class with, with Julia Child and she's like, you know, she finally felt like herself again for the first time after her mom died. And I was like, man, you know, people just, people were drawn to her and, uh, they, they, they loved being around her and they, and, um, I, I think David Hyde Pierce playing her husband, Paul is doing, I love him. I think he's great. I'm a big fan of him from, from Frasier and, um, this is this is a Tupperware. I, I'm 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 watching this week to week. This is really good. This is Tupperware for me. Um, Steve, did you watch Julia? Yeah, I'm at a. Uh, I've watched the first two episodes. Also at a Tupperware. Uh, great. Just it's really really good so far. It's nice to see a reunion of Lilith and Niles back as well. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Lilith and Niles. You're so right. Right when she showed up after like seeing like uh, David Hyde Pierce, it's like wait a second because I'm I'm starting like another rewatch of Frasier for my background show. But yeah, yeah it was um, really nice to see that. And yeah, I love the first two episodes. I love the first episode where she's um where she's doing the uh, the book review and the guy's like, what's happening? Like what is this? And then like after it's all done and she makes him cook the egg, he's like, this was ridiculous. As he takes the plate and eats the food, walking off stage, I'm like, man. <laughs> This is great. This yeah. is a really good show. So yeah, she brings I'm, she yeah. brings a hot plate onto that interview, <laughs> and instead of talking about the book, she just makes this guy a fucking omelet, and it was so fucking charming. I loved it. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, uh, Sarah Lancaster, I don't know how to say your name, but she's really good. Um, but I didn't really know Julia Child as a per- like you know as a person. I'm really young for that one, but my mom knows her, and I tried to tell my mom. But she's like Martha Stewart, uh, not the uh, Meryl Streep already did it, and Julia and and Juliet or something. I was like, oh, okay, and Jim, but like this was this was really good, so I'm really uh, excited. to continue. Yeah, that movie is basically just like a woman making a different Julia Child dish like every day or every week for like so like until she finished the cookbook, and it's like yeah. her relationship with Julia Child and making those recipes. This is actually Julia Child's life, and I think it's much more interesting, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for more episodes to come out, and then I'll be like, no, mom, this is definitely worth it. But with the two, I'm still a little on the, on the edge right now. But what I've seen so far is really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm hooked. Uh, Jake, what did you think about Julia? Yeah, I liked it quite a lot. It's a high taste it for me. I, I've only had a chance to watch the first episode so far. Um, I really like a lot of the background television production stuff that we get to see. I thought the character of Alice was probably the most interesting thing going on and just her fight to actually get the show made in the first place. Like, you know, I'm old enough to know like what like kind of an icon that Julia Child is. And uh, it's just weird to see that perspective where so many people were like fighting against her, even having her first shot in the first place. Like mm-hmm. uh, I agree with Steve. I thought the show really took off on that TV interview spot. And just like that host is such a fucking dick to her. And then, yeah, I laughed too at the end where he's walking off set and he's just munching down on that omelet. Um, yeah, this, this, this is a lot of fun. Uh, knowing you guys, 
liked it as much as you did really encourages me to come back to this one. I wasn't sure if I would return and watch any more episodes of this or not, but um, you guys seem to really be loving it. And uh, yeah, I, I've seen the Meryl Streep movie. I agree with that criticism. I, like she's like an imaginary friend kind of in that movie more than anything, and it's not really about like her rise to stardom, which is just very interesting. Like it it was such a radical age of television that uh, it really changed the landscape. Yeah. That that was Amy Adams in that one too. I like that movie, but this is, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, It's good. I like it. it. It's yeah. It's not trying to achieve anywhere near the same goal. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I mean, you know, she's a fucking icon and, and I mean, this is basically like laying her, you know, journey out there in a series, and I think it's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw Dan Aykroyd play Julia Child. What more do I need to see? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about the Dan Aykroyd SNL sketch too. <laughs> um, yeah, Joe, Julia. Yeah, this is you know one of those shows that I don't know if I would have watched it if it if it hadn't been on the watch list, and it really really blew me away. Uh, the, I've only watched the first episode so far, but it was a total Tupperware for me. I was absolutely endeared to Sarah Lancashire's, uh, performance as Julia Child. And kind of like Jake was saying, you know, I, I, I know who Julia Child is. I, I know how big of a name she is when it comes to, you know, cooking shows and stuff like that. And so to see this struggle that she had to go through that, <clears throat> you know, is essentially like a, a fight against the, the patriarchy. It's, it's very, very good television. And, and the way that she portrays the character is great. I love all of her friends around her that are really encouraging her to do it. And, you know, I watched Frasier also, and so I was excited to see David Hyde Pierce in this. And and throughout the first episode, it's like you see that, like, she even kind of has to go to battle against him to get this done. And, and knowing that eventually she's going to come out on top um, – you know, it, it, it doesn't lessen this at all for me. If anything, it, it makes me more excited to see this because it's like, you know, that she's going to overcome all these hurdles along the way. And this was one where I watched the first episode and immediately told my wife, I was like, we have to watch, like, I'm going to totally rewatch this first episode with you so that we can start watching this together because this show is so good that, um, you know, it can be one of those things that, that, that we watch together on HBO Max and, Excited to hear uh, uh, that you know you've seen so much more of it and you're uh, still really digging it and I, I can't wait to see where this is going to go. It's really good. There's a really beautiful scene. Um, her father is very leery of her husband's intentions with her. He thinks that he's with her because of her success. Uh, he's not currently doing anything, working or anything. So. He thinks that he's just basically with her and doesn't really, doesn't love her. He's just with her for convenience. And it's a really touching scene where, um, he basically kind of like lays that out there. And, and David Hyde Pierce says, I, you know, like to the extent I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I wish you could see what I see. And he holds up a picture of her, like, you know, smiling. And you could tell that like he loves her. You know, he, his, even her own father doesn't look at her as like, like he doesn't feel like my, he doesn't think like my daughter's pretty, my daughter's attractive. I can see why another man would want to be with her. And it's really like, 
she's not hearing it, but he's hearing it. But he does love her. He is attracted to her. And it's a really touching fucking scene. And it's... it's, it's sorry. Go No, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say it was really interesting in the second episode when they're doing that taping and, like, you know, Paul's, like, running around just trying to figure out how to help. And then once he realizes, like, while they're taping him, just so how natural she is and, like, she was able to, like, oh, we need more time. And you get that thing at the end. I thought that was really touching and everything just yeah. to see him gradually grow. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, he wants to get – he really just wants to put his ideas in it. And then, like, towards the end, you just realize that he's seen that she's just having a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, just let her run with it. Um, yeah, uh, fun fact, uh, during World War II, she was part of the team of people who invented shark repellent, and her shark repellent is still used by the U.S. Navy today. That's a real thing? I thought that was made up for Batman. <laughs> it's, it's fucking, dude, this is like one of the actual trivia facts that are, uh, uh it, it, for this show on IMDb. My mind is blown. Yeah, so. <laughs> It's fucking wild. Ah, watch Julia on HBO Max. It's great. It's very good. Uh, Moonshot. Uh, this is a movie that dropped on HBO Max uh, in the year 2049. Walt works as a barista on a college campus. His dream is to go to space. Uh, his dream to go to space becomes attainable with the introduction of the Covey Industries Student Mars Program, an organization that sends college students to Mars. The program, however, has rejected his offer 37 times due to his lack of knowledge and expertise to further humanity's exploration of the Red Planet. At a college party, he accidentally breaks the Wi-Fi orb of Sophie, a no-nonsense student whose boyfriend Calvin is on Mars. While at the party, he also falls in love with another student, Ginny, who is sent to Mars the next morning. And uh, this is a uh, science fiction romantic comedy Film directed by Chris Winterbauer and written by Max Tax. It stars Cole Sprouse, Lana Condor, Mason Gooding, Emily Rudd, and Zach Braff. And um, mm, I'm going to have somebody else go on this one first. So basically, yeah, you've got a got a kid who's wanting to go to fucking Mars, and uh, this girl Jenny that he fell in love with after one fucking night goes the next day and so he wants to be and she, he wants to go to Mars to be with her and yeah yeah Steve what'd you think about Moonshot oh man I'm glad you called me first I love this movie oh Huge Christ I knew it Jesus oh, Christ are you being sarcastic no not at all I really love uh, <laughs> oh my god I'm a big uh, Lana Condor fan and uh and just the movie at all uh, like I don't know. I was laughing a lot and just like the whole premise was like stupid, but it also reminded me of, um, just like those Disney movies, the Disney Channel movies from like the early 2000s. Like, um, what was it called? Uh, is it Xena or something like that? Um, but I can promise you I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was, really, it was like the year 2000. So yeah. Uh, but no, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I really enjoyed the third act with like just, I don't know. It, it's very, uh, you know, predictable and everything, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was great. What are you rating it? Tupperware. Oh my God. Let me get this. <laughs> Moonshot is moon shit. This is a toss it for me. Um, this is the cheap attempt. At a John Hughes movie, if I ever fucking saw it, 
I usually enjoy Lana Condor. I've seen her in like one of those Netflix romance comedies. She's good. I thought she was awful in this. I only enjoyed the, like, I think I only enjoyed, uh, once it got to like the very, I, I like the Zach Braff stuff was fine. I'm not even a big Zach Braff fan, to be honest with you. I, I, you know, I've watched a little bit of scrubs here and there and shit, but, um, I thought his scene was, was interesting. Um, I just, I did not like this. I thought, it, I didn't think it was funny. Um, yeah, this is just not for me. Not for me. It's a, this one's a toss it. Um, Jake, what'd you think? Yeah, I hated this. This was a giant toss it for me as well. Um, man, it's like, I compare it to a 2000s Disney original movies too. And I, I think I tossed the, all of those as well. Like it, this was just not for me. Uh, the plot was so obvious. Like if you're not 15 minutes into this and you can't write the exact ending that's going to happen and you've never seen a single movie in your life. Um, I didn't think the characters were charming enough to hold just such a, a trite concept in the first place. Um, yeah, just a bunch of douchey characters and a really lame, douchey sci-fi rom-com. This was, yeah, I, I hope I never have to think about this movie again. <laughs> Joe, what did you think? Yeah, I'm definitely more with Steve. Like, I found this movie really charming and actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was totally predictable. Uh, you you know, right? Like you were saying, Jake, you know, right away at the beginning, oh, this is how this is going to go. Um, but I thought all the little adventures and stuff along the way were were really fun. I thought Cole Sprouse played a really lovable moron. And, you know, paired up with, with, with Lana Condor's, you know, character Sophie, they were polar opposites. Um, there were so many, you know, ridiculous. I mean, this movie, it, this isn't a movie that, that you'd watch and take seriously at all, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was really charming in its own little way. And, and, and I really liked the way that the kind of the lessons that it carried with it at the end. And I, I don't want to spoil the part, but when, when, he, when Cole, or when Walt first meets Zach Braff's character of Leon Covey and the the video so, montage that that Leon Covey plays for him, that fucking killed me. I thought it was so fucking funny. Um, I didn't expect to like this movie. When I, when I read the summary for it, I was like, oh, college age character rom-com. I'm a 41-year-old dude. I'm not going to give a shit about this. And I was pleasantly surprised by how charming I thought it was. I didn't like it as much as Steve. I'm, uh, uh, this isn't a Tupperware for me, but I mean, this was like a, a, a taste it for me. You know, is is a perfectly serviceable rom-com. I don't know how many, if I've ever seen a rom-com before that was like a sci-fi rom-com, so I thought that was kind of a, a fun little twist on it, but I could totally understand how it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. Why is it called Moonshot when they go to Mars? That made zero sense to me yeah. as well. Why the fuck is this called Moonshot? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> right? I really hated I hated the character that was like the woman on the ship that just wanted to have a party. Oh, like the, that, the, the pilot or whatever? She was so funny. She's like, dance. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was, she was terrible. Oh, she was great. <laughs> Yeah, I did not laugh once during this entire movie, and uh, there was nothing I watched that I couldn't wait for it to be over more than this. Yeah, this is this. Uh, <laughs> I did not like this, <laughs> and it's not like I don't like rom coms. I just felt like this was just 
Oh my god! It, they the, just the cheapest of attempts at a John Hughes film that just went really bad for me. I just I'm glad you liked it, Steve, and. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you liked it, but it, it just wasn't for me. And I, I've seen Lana Condor and other stuff, and I've enjoyed her. But I, man, I'd say for most of this movie, she was annoying. What was that little dance she did before she got on the Mars oh, flight? I loved that. That, that was, was so funny. It was so dumb. I didn't even understand what the fuck she was she, doing. She was, uh, she was nervous. That's how she handles her nerves and everything. They start dancing. I oh, that is so too. fucking dumb. And then Cole does it too. Or I mean, Walt. Oh God! Now I hate both of them. Steve's you know, reaction to this movie, like I know he's not lying, but it feels like I'm on an episode of Punk. Like he's so deadpan and serious about his love for this movie. That I can't even. <laughs> oh man, the um, what, what's it <laughs> like, Joe? The whole Walting stuff. I'm like, yep, Jake, yes, no. Walting. <laughs> like, yes, uh, this no. is great. That like saved it for me. That third act. That like those moments with Zach Braff, because like. I legit like was getting up to a point where I'm like, are, is this really going to be like, I, like again, I understood like the predictable stuff in it, but I'm like, how are we going to get to this third act? Because this is a make it or break it for me. And the third act was really like, it was so funny and real. And Walt is just so naive and he does what you'd expect a naive kid to do. It just, it all like, all the pieces fell in the right places for me. And by the end, it just like, yeah, you knew this was going to be the ending, but man, this journey was fantastic. Yeah, I don't, it really fell off the rails at the end for me. Like, the third act was the worst part. Like, it made no sense to me how, like, all that information comes out. It becomes this, like, social media shitstorm. And, like, the relationship factor didn't seem to catch on at all. It was just the walting of it all. And, like, by the time you get to the breakup scene with Sophie, it's like, wouldn't her boyfriend just be like, yeah, I saw the viral fucking TikTok you're with this other dude like there, there should be no shock here at this point like I, I don't know it was just very weird that even when they introduced that factor I'm like oh man he's going to feel so bad that all this stuff about Sophie is out there and he's going to ruin her relationship by having this go viral but that wasn't even addressed well, to be fair, you're not wrong. Like, it would have been nice just to see that family's reaction to it. But to be fair, they only showed him getting onto the ship with what was quote unquote leaked. Yeah. So, you know, but you're you're not wrong. Like, I would have li- I like to see just that family's reaction of like, what? I mean, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's crazy, Steve. You're awesome for Tupperware in this movie and being serious. <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> Oh my god, here's another movie. Let's jump onto this one. Oh god. Uh, The Bubble on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Uh, Steve probably loved this fucking thing too. Uh, sneaking out, hooking up, melting down. The cast and crew of a blockbuster action franchise attempt to shoot a sequel while quarantining at a posh hotel. It's a comedy film directed by Judd Apatow from a screenplay co-written by, with Pam Brady. Features an ensemble cast that includes Karen Gillan, Iris Apatow, Fred Armazan, Maria Bakalova, uh, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Leslie Mann, Kate McKinnon, Pedro Pascal, Goose Khan, and Pete Serafinowicz. Um, I, uh, uh, I don't, I don't really want to talk about this one a lot. It's, it's this, it's a comedy, uh, I put that in quotations, and, um, it's a group of actors that are, getting together to film during the pandemic uh, and they're following protocols and, and it's for this uh, movie called cliff B six battle for Everest, which basically it feels like it's a, 
it's got the dynamic of like a fast and furious movie meets, you know, like a Jurassic park film. And, um, and, uh, you've got one, this one actress, uh, Carol Cobb played by Karen Gillan, who left the franchise and now is, went on to do her own movie that fucking failed. And now she's come back to the franchise and you've got some other actors that are a little upset that she left in the first place. And this, I fucking hated this movie. This is an absolute toss. It. I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was over the top and stupid. Uh, it's it's a lot of pandemic humor, and I just I didn't. I just didn't. There's a scene where like they're in the cliff beast where like they have to kill these fucking dinosaurs, these flying dragons or whatever the fuck, and they've got flammable penises that you have to shoot. <laughs> And oh, you can already hear Steve giggling over there. This is the it's the dumbest shit. This is a this is an absolute toss. It I hated this movie. Um, Jake, who do you want to go next? Who do you want to hear from? Uh, I want to I want to go ahead and jump on the toss train real quick. All right, before we move on, choo choo man. Yeah, I this was like a two hour version of the Gal Gadot Imagine video, like in tone. Like it was just so fucking bad. Um, I get it. I get it. Celebrities think they're full of themselves. It, the joke plays out for over two hours and it wasn't funny in the first 10 minutes and it's not funny in the last 10 minutes. Like, oh my gosh, it's, this movie is so like tries to be self-aware, but like, just like the Imagine video, like somehow it becomes unself-aware and almost insulting because of it. Like I, this movie was worse than bad. It was, it was almost insulting. Uh, the only time I laughed was when uh, Leslie Mann had her unfortunate accident when she was trying to escape the the, the compound. Uh, just a bit of a shock laugh at what happened to that character. But, oh, man, yeah, this was fucking awful and such a waste of such a great amount of people. Like, yeah. I, I was shocked at the amount of people I normally respect that were in this giant sack of shit movie. I. Oh, I fucking hated everything this movie was about. All its meta commentary made me want to punch myself in the face. Oh, this was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what did you think about the bubble? Yeah, this one was also a toss it for me. I wow. I had a few laughs in the first hour, but the second hour of this thing was like the longest hour of my life. And it it felt so self-indulgent on so many different levels that I don't know. Maybe I could have liked this movie a little bit more had they trimmed out a lot of the fat and really focused more on the comedy instead of trying to give it any sort of heart. Just focus on satirical comedy. Don't try and put any sort of message in it. Um, I, I felt like there was a lot of this movie that could have been cut out to make it better. Um, it, it had a tremendous cast. I remember when I first saw the trailer for this, I was very excited about a lot of the people that were in it. But at yeah. the end, it was... It, it was just way too long and way too long of a movie that really didn't know what it wanted to be. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. There were a handful of scenes in that first hour that made me laugh out loud. But by the time I was done with the second hour of the movie, like I, I can't even tell you what the laugh out loud parts were because the second half of it bored me to tears. All right. I cut out the five minute TikTok videos that happened multiple times. Jesus. Um, let's hear from Steve. Steve, before you rate this thing, our friendship hangs in the balance here, buddy. 
<laughs> like I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like this, oh. this, this affects our friendship, Steve. I'm kidding. Go ahead. No, I'm not a solid taste it. Uh, oh, God. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> no, God. I guess they're saying um, just it kind of was like an extended SNL skit that just went way too long. I, I couldn't figure out if it was being like funny, like sat, sat satirical on just Hollywood, or if it was a just a deconstruction of how bad it is to be in the Hollywood bubble in a sense. Uh, but yeah, but at the same time, I'm laughing a lot. So like the movie's stupid and pointless. Um, supposedly it's based on, you know, the making of Dominion, the latest Jurassic World movie. So it gets me a little bit more intrigued to see whatever the hell happens in that movie. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was just, it was just fun. It's nothing I'll ever revisit or anything, but it was, it was entertaining for me. There was definitely a lot of like funny moments, but like, yeah, the movie's stupid. Yeah, I just, I just, I was kind of like over this movie. It's like this, if I felt like the same kind of like, they were just going for like the same joke for like two hours. And that's like, yeah, I, I thought Steve nailed it by comparing it to an SNL sketch. Yeah. Like won't ever end. It was every character had the same joke that played out over two hours. Like David Duchovny's arc was the same exact arc from the first 15 minutes of the movie to the last 15 in the movie. It's, it's like, yes, we get it. He wants to rewrite the script. He thinks he could do it better. Boo fucking who? Like it was but just, never, like, uh, he does have an actual arc right at the end. He's like, I'm a horrible person. I'm still here and everything. And it's just like, so that's where I got confused where I'm like, is this supposed to be like a joke on themselves or like is this like problems of Hollywood right now? Yeah, it was very hard to distinguish whether or not it was in on the joke or whether it actually wanted you to feel pity for people in this situation. Like uh, the line was too fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the bubble. It's on Netflix. Uh, let's jump into uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 landed in theaters this week. Uh, after settling in Green Hills, Sonic is eager to prove that he has what it takes to be a true hero. His test comes when Dr. Robotnik returns with a new partner, Knuckles, in search of a mystical emerald that has the power to destroy civilizations. Uh, Sonic teams up with his own sidekick, Tails, and together they embark on a globe-trotting journey to find the emerald before it falls into the wrong hands. And it's directed by Jeff Fowler, written by Pat Casey, Josh Miller, and John Winnington. Uh, it stars Ben Schwartz reprising his role as the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog alongside James Marsden, Tika Sumter, Natasha Rothwell, Adam Pally, Shamar Moore, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, uh, Idris Elba, Jim Carrey, and, uh, yeah. Um, Jake, what'd you think about, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2? I'm going to give this movie a solid taste it. I think the first one is a high taste it for me. It's not a bad movie. I think it's geared more towards the younger set than it is towards me. Uh, I just think the first one was a bit more hilarious. Like there's a couple of Jim Carrey scenes in that first movie that are, are, are borderline brilliant to me. Uh, like the extended music video sequence of him getting all the machines ready in the first movie. Like, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing and nothing in this movie really ever achieves that comedic level for me. Um, the introduction of the new characters was fun enough. I mean, I don't dislike tails or knuckles, but they didn't like really change the game for me in any way whatsoever. Um, I, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the decision to make knuckles borderline stupid either. I, it played off for a few good laughs at moments of the movie, but um, 
I, I thought that was an odd decision, and I, and I wasn't the most here for it. Um, yeah, this is fun enough. I see how, how kids would love it. If there was a third one, which it very much looks like there will be, I'll watch it too. But uh, just just not as good as the high bar the first one set. Okay. Uh, Joe, what did you think about Sonic 2? I was so hyped for this movie to come out. Um, I I have 11-year-old and 14-year-old boys, and this is a Sonic the hedgehog household <laughs> um i i raised them on vintage video game systems so they were playing sonic when they were old enough to pick up a controller and you know understand how to make the buttons work um they've got sonic the hedgehog plushies they are super into the the animated series uh, not the one with urkel but the one afterward is the one that they've watched a ton of um they absolutely loved the first movie it's something that that we've watched multiple times um, for movie nights in the Stark household. And so as a family, we all went and saw this on Thursday. And I had so much fun seeing Easter eggs on the screen and then turning and looking at my kids' faces and seeing them so excited. So a huge part of my enjoyment of this movie and this franchise is getting to see the joy and excitement in my kids' faces because this is something that's absolutely blowing their minds. Um, and and we all loved this second movie. Uh, it was a total Tupperware for me. The first one was a Tupperware as well. I really liked that this second one picked up right where the first one left off. I was very excited that we got introduced to two of Sonic's friends from the games. Um, Jake, what you were saying with Knuckles being stupid in the animated show that the boys watched all the time, Knuckles was kind of a bonehead in that as well. So it, it kind of fit with the way that at least I feel like I understand the character just from stuff I've seen them watching. Um, Idris Elba's performance in it was really great. I especially loved it in the third act. Um, the, the baseball bit at the end made me laugh pretty hard. Um, the, one of the things that, that we are missing in the sequel that was so fantastic in the first one though is all the, the Sonic and James Marsden time together because they made such a great duo and it was very endearing in that first movie. We didn't get near as much of that in this one. But I was kind of okay with the trade-off of seeing Sonic instead hang out with the the people that you know. I mean, I mean his his guys, you know, from the video game, and it's it even kind of works it into the narrative in this movie that you know um, uh, Tom's telling you know his wife Maddie when they're at this wedding and they're seeing the the groom and his best men being all chummy. You know, he's saying, "Oh, I really wish Sonic could have that," and you know, by the end of the movie, he does. And Jim Carrey again in this was was fantastic. I really loved the way they picked up the story with him on the mushroom world. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Trying to brew the perfect cup of mushroom coffee, which sounds fucking horrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was one of the big things that was left hanging in my mind after watching the first one is, oh my gosh, what are they going to do to get him out of here? Uh, the other big thread that was hanging is, how did Tails know about Sonic? Because from what we're told in this first movie, you know, Sonic didn't really have any other friends outside Longclaw. You know, this this wise old owl that had raised him and then kind of helped him escape after they came under attack. And then they also left the thread hanging with the government still looking for Sonic. And I feel like as far as sequels go, they did a fucking fantastic job of picking up and carrying on all three of those threads in a really great way. And uh the let's see there there was the scene in the first one where it was very reminiscent 
of you know Evan Peters Quicksilver in X Men where he's running around the bar and everything stopped. Whereas in this second one, we kind of get more of like a dance off, which I thought was kind of funny. Mm. Um, and, and also, this is the second movie that we saw this week that had Pantera in it. Are you fucking kidding? I me? know, what a dude. Fucking time to be alive. They fucking put, <laughs> when they when he when they played Walk, dude. I was like, no fucking way. Same here. Same here. I was like, no fucking way. But also, absolutely perfect. Yes. You know? um, I mean, what? I mean, the fucking Death Egg robot in. In fucking live action, it was so great. I I loved this movie. I loved the the bit at the end with the, with the 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 ancient temple thing. It was totally reminiscent of like the labyrinth zone from the first game. Um, I, and and I love the the mid credit scene at the end that's showing up. You know, yet another character to come in, in the series in the next movie. And but like like I said, a lot of my stoke for this is coming from the fact that. My kids are so stoked on this, and that excitement is is infectious, and and I absolutely loved this movie. Can't wait for the next one. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on uh, this uh, this conversation here. Um, I I saw the like I saw the first one in the theater, and I I gave it a high taste it, and you know I enjoyed it, and this. And I actually, before, like, hours before I watched the second one, I watched the first one again for the first time since. And I liked it. It's still fun. But I saw this one. I went, I saw it in Dolby Atmos. Sound is amazing. Pictures bigger. It's just as big, if not bigger, than an IMAX screen. It, it, sound is incredible. And, um, this, I, I love this. This is an absolute Tupperware for me. This was, I think it, I think it, um, it's better than the first one, in my opinion. I think, I think they up the Jim Carrey comedy in it. I was laughing out loud at certain points. And, um, I mean, some of the, some of the jokes that they had from the first movie, they really kind of like doubled down on them in this one. Like there's a scene in the first one where Sonic had eaten a chili dog and farted. And in this one, he's eating chili dogs. And then like there's a scene in the first one where, you know, Dr. Robotnik's little fucking lackey like made him latte with steamed goat's milk. And by the second movie, he's fucking owns his he's owns his own coffee shop called Mean Bean. And he's making lattes with steamed goat's milk. And and then you've got, you've got Dr. Robotnik says it needs more mushroom after he's been complaining about mushrooms this entire time. Uh, I, too, love the fact that they fucking showed um, how he got off that planet. You know, I was like, you know, it's like it's like uh how the fuck is uh, Iron Man going to get out of space? The same thing had it happen here with Dr. Robotnik on that mushroom world. Like, how is he going to get out of there? And I fucking, that robot at the end is fucking incredible. I love that action scene. It was so much fun and seeing all three of them on the screen and shit zipping around. And um, I loved it. It's an absolute Tupperware. I think it's better than the original that came out. I think they just upped everything. Um, and I like seeing, uh, yes, I like seeing Sonic on his own with tails and, and, uh, that, that dance off scene I thought was great. I thought it was going to be a fucking fight and then they do the dance off and I'm dying and I loved it. Totally. I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was a blast. Um, yeah, yeah. It's an absolute Tupperware for me. And, uh, I can't believe I'm saying that it's, I had a lot of fun. I had more fun in this movie than I thought I was going to. Steve, what'd you think? Yeah, I'm at a, a, a solid taste it. Uh, really close to a high taste. I really, I want to revisit it after watching, uh, the original again, cause I didn't get to 
get a chance to revisit that before going into the sequel. But uh, from what I remember, I actually thought this was a lot better than the original because I liked that they focused more on Sonic and his friends and everything. But yeah, that wedding scene was hysterical. I thought that was really funny just in general with what was going on and everything else. And yeah, there were parts that were really funny, but I thought that Robotnik was a bit um, more funny in the original. Uh, I liked Tails and uh, what's it called? Uh, and just Knuckles. Uh, he just reminded me a lot of Drax. I could see that. Like he's like the Drax of this little like gang of misfits and everything. Uh, it definitely fit. It was really funny, but yeah, I just felt like they were trying to like aim it like Drax for kids or little kids, and that's what this is for, like six, seven, eight year olds. So. I think it was a really good, really well done. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. If there's going to be a third for the trilogy, then that definitely is worth checking out. Yeah. Definitely not a, definitely no moonshot, right, Steve? <laughs> a what? Definitely no moonshot. No, 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 no definitely no pales in comparison to the masterpiece that is moonshot. I'm glad we agree there. Absolutely, sir. Uh, the movie did look absolutely gorgeous. I, I, one part I really noticed was during the uh, like the snowboarding action sequence. I that really like had the video game feel to me, but yet didn't look like a video game. Just looked spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know, man. Uh, this is fucking. This is hit for me. <laughs> it sounds like it yeah, hit, yeah. It hit for me, man. I I actually thought Jim Carrey was actually funnier in this one than in the first one, but. I don't know. Maybe it was, I was just in a good mood, I guess. I just got done, you know, running over a squirrel. Um, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> I can't wait to buy this on digital. It's something that we're going to be watching over and over. I mean, it's, yeah, it was so good. It was so good. I wouldn't be surprised if I could talk my kids into going and see it in the theater again before it does yeah. come out on digital. I just wish they would have released this one in 3D anywhere. I was looking for a 3D showing anywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, it would have been great gorgeous in 3D. Yeah, in 3D. I mean, yeah. that third act in 3D would have just been incredible. I, I looked all over. I, I would have drove an hour away to see this in fucking 3D. That would have happened, but I could not find it anywhere. And Ambulance has all the IMAX screens, um, but they didn't get the, the Dolby Atmos screen, so I, I saw it there fucking is amazing so yeah i loved it um apollo oh go ahead i was gonna say this is paramount so it should be on paramount plus by uh may or june yeah what do they do is it like the 45 days yeah they're like uh hbo max where 45 days out uh, you'll you'll be able to watch it on there yes uh apollo ten and a half uh, this dropped on Netflix. It's the story of uh, the first moon landing in the summer of 1969 from two interwoven perspectives. It both captures the astronaut and mission control view of the triumphant moment and the lesser seen bottom up perspective of what is like from an excited kid's perspective living near NASA, but mostly watching it on TV like hundreds of millions of others. It's ultimately both an exacting recreation of this special moment in history and a kid's fantasy about being plucked from his average life in suburbia to secretly train for a covert mission to the moon. Uh, it's an animated film. It's set during the events preceding the Apollo 11 moon landing. Uh, it's loosely based on the childhood of writer, director and producer Richard Linklater. Um, you know, he directed, uh, Probably the biggest movie, uh, Dazed and Confused, and um, what was it, Slacker, 
Um, it presents a fictional tale of a fourth grader who becomes the first person to land on the moon. It stars Glenn Powell, Jack Black, Zachary Levi, and Josh Wiggins, uh, set during the events. Yeah. Um, I was moved. I was like, it's, it's animated and they do like this really, uh, interesting. I, I thought it looked really good. Rotoscoping animation. Um, I was moved like when the movie started and I thought it was just going to be like this fictional story about a kid going to the moon. And, um, you know, you get introduced to this, this kid and, um, the narrator is Jack Black playing like the older version of this kid. And you get introduced to this kid and he's kind of like a, he tells tall tales in school and, you know, his dad works for NASA and, and he's telling kids that his dad's like, you know, bigger, um, you know, kind of like figurehead at NASA than he really is. And, and I was just thinking like, okay, this kid's a liar. He's just, this whole thing's going to be about this kid going to the moon. And it's kind of bookended with that. It's more of like, um, showing what it was like to be a family in the late sixties of someone like, you know, who worked for the NASA space program at the time and showing you what their life was like. And, um, I, I, I loved it. It was like a, it was like a fuck, it was like watching an episode of like, uh, like an hour and a half, two hour episode of like the Wonder Years, but like the family is, you know, uh, a NASA family. And it really gets into like everything about their life and the different dynamics in the family, like the one daughter who's kind of like, you know, going against like the conservative beliefs of her father and then, um, that, and then, it just gets into like all the like board games that they played at the time, what it was like to be a kid and playing outside back then. And, and, um, I love the part where like they show, you know, like movie night and like what movies they were watching and, and, uh, at the drive-in and the dad was so cheap and he would like sneak the, <laughs> the, he would sneak half of the kids in the fucking trunk. There's six of them, six in this family. And like, he'd sneak half of the kids in the trunk and shit. And, they talked about the movie, uh, the countdown and, uh, it with Roddy McDowell. And, you know, these are movies I haven't seen, but I love Roddy McDowell and it made me want to see those movies. And they talked about, like, he talked about shows that only made it one season on TV that he remembers. And I, I'm like, I'm the same way. Like there's shows that I watched when I was younger that only made it one season. It's like, these are forgotten shows, but I remember them. And he talked about the time tunnel and another show called it's about time. And he's talking about the premise and they're actually showing clips of the show in this rotoscope animation. And I'm just sucked in, man. I'm just totally sucked into this show and this movie. And this was my favorite thing that I watched all week. It just made me feel good. And, and I think Jack Black did a great job playing the older, you know, the narrating is the older Stan. And I just, I, this, 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 this fucking movie just made me feel good. I loved it. So it's an, it's an absolute Tupperware for me. I, when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an astronaut. And then when I got older, I realized you had to be like fucking smart and science and shit. And, I was a fucking moron, so that ain't happening. But uh, I loved this. I just thought it was—I thought it was fantastic. Um, Joe, what did you think? Yeah, this was also a Tupperware for me. I had a fantastic experience watching this. Um, I was maybe ninety seconds into it when my eleven-year-old walked into the room, noticed I was watching something animated, and was like, "Oh, what's this?" And he sat down. 
and he became so absorbed in this movie. So, you know, me and him watched this together. And like you said, I mean, this movie just made me feel good. It is, it is an absolute slice of life from the late sixties. And there were so many things that, you know, I grew up, you know, in the eighties. And so, I mean, this was, you know, the, uh, you know, what, like 10, 12 years, you know, prior to that. And, it was just so wild seeing the stuff. Like I, I forgot about kids riding in the back of the pickup to go out to the lake, yeah, to go swimming. You know, because me and my sister used to do that in the back of dad's truck, or you know, going into into buildings. Like it's showing, like you know, the the secretary for the principal just sitting and smoking cigarettes at her desk in the school, like all that sort of shit. You know, it's it is just this glimpse of like kind of Americana with this NASA family. And and I love the aspect that the you know the the kid gets propositioned by NASA that oh we built the lunar lander too small yeah and so we yeah. need to to have a kid do this but you can't tell anybody you can't tell your your parents about this or anything we've made up this elaborate cover story to make it seem like you're at summer camp all summer when really you know you're going to be in training and then going up to the moon and and then how as the movie progressed, it was just intercut with scenes of that, you know, like when the, when the astronauts are really doing their thing, it's almost showing like a memory from the kid of what it was like when he did it. And so that prompted these conversations between me and my 11 year old where we're like, what's really going on here? Did he really do that? I mean, it said at the beginning that he's a kid who tells tall tales. And so, I mean, this was just a fantastic experience watching this movie. Um, it, it was very good. Jack Black really knocked it out of the park with it. I found the movie so endearing. Uh, this is absolutely something that I would watch again. So yeah, this was a Tupperware for me. Fun fact about Jack Black. Uh, he has a personal connection to NASA and the space program. His mother, Judith Love Cohen, helped, uh, helped develop the abort guidance system, which ultimately helped get Apollo 13 back to Earth. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It's incredible. Uh, uh, Jake, what did you think about Apollo 10 and a half? Yeah. I have a lot of the same notes that you guys have. This was, this was an absolute Tupperware for me as well. I also like Brian wasn't sure what was going on for maybe like the first 10, 15 minutes of this. Like I wasn't the most sucked into like kind of the tall tale NASA story. But then all of a sudden, once it became this like slice of life growing up as a kid, in the late 60s, early 70s movie, I, I just absolutely fell in love and very much had the same reaction where it, it just made me feel good thinking about a lot of this stuff that I hadn't thought about since I was a child. I mean, like Joe said, you know, I grew up in the 80s, but it, it wasn't much different than a lot of the stuff they talk about in this movie. So it really just like pounded me with these member berries, like uh, thinking about kids getting <laughs> swatted in school. I hadn't thought about that for fucking ever. Uh, making up like sports games with your friends in like the garage or the basement yes. like doing that all the time. Yes. Like we did so much dumb shit like that where we just made up the ways we entertained ourselves were just so different back then compared to, you know, kids. Now they call it like kind of the iPad generation and not to say one's better or worse than the other, but I think that's kind of a lost art, just like the creativity you had to do to come up with fun things to do with your friends. Um, I also have the riding in truck beds on the interstate. I hadn't thought about that forever. Um, 
prank calls is something I hadn't thought about. That whole section really made me smile. Um, just randomly calling people and making them play name that tune. And we used to do dumb shit like that all the fucking time when I was a kid. Uh, firework fights, just one thing after another. Like I, I just, this was definitely the surprise of the week for me, especially because like I said, the first 10, 15 minutes, I don't know. Like it was probably a low taste it. Like I wasn't immediately in love with the animation style and just the story wasn't grabbing me. But then by the end of it, I was completely invested even in the A storyline too. Once I got to just kind of fall in love with this character and just his trials with his family. So yeah, I, I will definitely be watching this again. It had an incredible soundtrack as well. I, uh, yeah. I fucking love this. Yeah, yeah. It's a this is incredible. It just made me it just made me feel good. Like I loved I didn't want it to end. Like it was <laughs> every scene and like everything you would talk about from music to like little league and you know all the different games, board games and made up games that they'd play and everything. Just even like the, there's the scene with the dad and he's like the guy's pumping gas and his dad's so cheap and he makes him he's like, "Hey, Put it back in the tank. That's my gas in there. I, I in paid that, for that. I paid for that gas in that hose. <laughs> You're going to wiggle that hose and get all the gas out of that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you fucking cheapskate. Oh my, washing your feet off with gasoline from getting them all. Like, just a shit. It was just crazy. Like, I, he really nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steve, what did you think about uh, Apollo 10 and a half? Yeah, I'm also at a Tupperware. Uh, I loved this movie. Uh, I'm going to echo most of everything you guys said. Didn't care about the whole Tall Tales storyline they were doing, especially when we were getting into the the realness of it. But then you get the whole, well, I bet, you, I'm, I bet you're wondering how I got here, sort of pause 15 minutes in. And that's where it hooked me because I loved the animation right away. But, yeah, the – like Brian, what you're saying, the Wonder Years aspect yeah. of it, of just like following this family. <clears throat> I just hope this turns into an anthology series that like Richard Linklater was able to get other people that grew up in the seventies or in the fifties and they can tell these stories and we can get this animated version of it. And I could I, I really don't care about the book ending of like the sort just like the imagination of it. Like, don't get me wrong. I was that kid as well, so it's like maybe that's why I didn't care for it because it just it hurt me a bit. Where I'm like, man, I hated this as me as a kid being a, a tall tail type of kid and everything. But yeah, it was just really, just really well done. I the animation, like yours, the rotoscope animation, just yeah, it takes a minute to. It's like slower frame speed, so it takes a minute to get used to it. But then once you're in, it's just it's beautiful, and I just hope they do more movies like this where it's like some type of like series that we can go across the world with just different upbringings around different eras i love that idea because i love this and i want more too because i like, i'm like i feel like what jake's saying like i feel like i'm in that like last generation of being able to do the prank calls or like ding dong ditch and everything you can't do any of that shit anymore caller id happens everybody's got a a camera in front of their front door it's just it's not you can't do that fun uh, delinquent stuff anymore. Yeah, man. I mean, we, I had a neighborhood. I had neighborhood friends. You know, like we didn't like right. hang out yeah. at school, but we hung out in the neighborhood. You, you know, tell like who's at where because the bikes and everything. Yeah, we used yeah. to fucking. Mm-hmm. I used to. I used to. Yes. I used to ride on bike trails. We used to ride on bike trails. I used to take my bike and just ride all the time, all day. Just ride my bike. 
I mean, we'd play we'd play uh, flashlight tag at night, and I mean, just oh, manhunt was my thing. If it wasn't ding dong ditch with the group of friends I was with, it was manhunt down the street and everything. It was so much fun. Yeah, man, those are fun memories, and it, it, watching this, it, it'll bring back like those childhood memories that you had. It's, it's crazy. It was, I I I absolutely loved it, and Richard Linklater should be really proud of this. I think Jack Black did a great job as well. And, oh was amazing i didn't even know if it was him until you get the credits i was like wow what a great voice just to listen to. yeah yeah really yeah i want more of this i i'm with you steve i want more of this give me an anthology give me give me one of these every fucking year from, from some, yeah yeah i i love it i absolutely love it all right uh, let's jump into that is that is it for good Bop, bad pop i have a feeling like jake's either going to ask for a break now or we're going to go into news <laughs> Jake's. I would love a break. We're hardly the amazing Kreskin there. Those are the only two options. Right? I I would love a break. Well, no, it's like yeah, yeah. Those are the okay. Excuse me for not fucking giving you. Well, I the have third a feeling one of the only two obvious things are going to happen. Uh, the thir- third option. Third option is I'm going to throw you off this fucking episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that would be drastic. I no, I wouldn't do that. That was just for effect. Anyway. But yes, you're correct. I would love to pee. I know you would. Jesus, it's been an hour. It's been an hour. I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> why do you do that then? Why? What is it? So why I'm do you do that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jake. I'm, I'm like three, four beers. You agree with every? If you agree with if Jake is jumping off a bridge, you're following right behind, motherfucker. This episode, Jesus guy. Christ! This guy Tupperware moonshot. I know, I know. <laughs> Don't compare me to. That. Yeah, but for the rest of the episode, you, he's basically had your dick in his mouth this entire time. Wow. So wow, he's back to having your dick. Yeah. Ow, okay. I, I wanted to face fuck him during that moonshot review. Yeah, yeah. Now we know why that band was called Skull Fucker and Metal Lords. <laughs> oh, the Skull Flower is so good, so good. Anyway, we'll take a we'll take a break for the Bladder Boys, and we'll be right back. <laughs> hey, how are you? First. I want you to know that I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And when I'm not impregnating my housekeeper, I like to buy t-shirts on popcultureleftovers.com. Or you can buy a PCO mug or stickers or even a skateboard deck. You can even buy a PCO bath mat. Listen to this. Imagine getting out of your shower if you have your balls out or your vagina and they're fully exposed and you're hovering just mere feet over the PCO Majestic logo. Hovering like a chopper. And just like a chopper, you should get to popcultureleftovers.com and click on the Threadless link or you can head directly over to popcultureleftovers.threadless.com and buy a shirt. Come on, do it now. Do it. Buy a shirt. I'm here. I'm right here. All right. Hey, we're back. It is now time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye. Read all about it. It's a list of a news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. All right. Bill Skarsgård lead the uh, Crow reboot. This comes from Dark Horizons. Uh, he played Pennywise in it. 
Now Bill Skarsgård is set to take on another famed character as he's the latest name attached to uh, take the lead of uh, the, the role of Eric Draven in the Crow reboot. The original indie comic by James O'Barr follows Eric Draven and his fiance who are assaulted and killed by a gang after the couple's car breaks down. Eric is resurrected by a crow and exacts vengeance on those who took his life and the life of his love. Uh, Rupert Sanders, the uh, director from Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell, will direct the supernatural revenge thriller, which Edward R. Pressman and Malcolm Gray will produce. Uh, King Richard scribe Zach Balin will pen the script. And um, unlike past attempts to get the film going, this one looks like it's genuinely happening with the $50 million budgeted project well into product, pre-production ahead of a June start in Prague and Munich. Uh, filmmakers like Steve, Stephen Norrington, F. Javier Gutierrez, uh, Corin Hardy, while actors like Luke Evans and Jason Momoa have been linked to past failed attempts and revive the franchise. This has been going on for at least 15 years. I, I, I remember, I think even, um, oh, what's his name? Bradley Cooper at one time was, uh, being hinted at as possibly playing the crow years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like it's finally happening. So, um, Bill Skarsgård would not have been my first choice. I'm, I, I'm not the biggest Bill Skarsgård guy, personally. Yeah, I, I, I he, he wouldn't be my first choice either. I'm not upset by it. I can kind of see, like, what they're thinking behind it, like, just kind of the creepy loner lunatic type of character maybe um but yeah i definitely not my first choice either i i'm not usually in alignment with you on these kind of things brian but i was kind of more on the like jason momoas type of build character for the crow rebuild i i feel like they're trying too much to replicate the body type of brandon lee with this casting and that's maybe not the the right direction yeah, I mean, when you say creepy loner, are you talking about like once he is the crow? Because no, I just mean him. I, Eric Draven. I, Eric Draven, the character, was very well liked by all the people that, you know, especially like when you watch the crow movie, like everybody that knew Eric Draven really liked the guy. He's a likable guy. Yeah, I just kind of mean the persona he kind of like exudes once he becomes the character like that's what i was asking like because eric draven the guy is a likable guy like you know like the 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 girl in the building was good friends with him everybody that knew eric seems like that they enjoyed him he's you know in a band and got along with his bandmates and everything so i mean i don't i just don't think (sighs) give me a performance from bill skarsgård where he can pull off this because I, I'm not seeing it yet. Yeah. And I mean, after we had the conversation at the beginning of this episode, like I'm afraid for the bird that's going to have to die when this movie eventually actually comes out when you go see this movie. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to fucking run over a bird. I'll probably run over a fucking nest of baby birds on my way to see. I know. I know, Jake. I know. I I do think Momo would have been a better choice. Now, they got really close to fucking filming that shit, dude. They got yeah, really just, close. That's just more exciting. I, I think Momoa, you can sell the movie on the fact that Momoa is in it and starring. I don't 
it's the guy that played Pennywise is going to be on the poster. Like, I don't, not saying anything against him, but he just doesn't have the resume to really like headline name drop a movie like this, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was like, I wanted to, I wanted them to do like a female crow and I know everybody, they're always uh, doing the female thing. I just think it would have been like more like, I don't know, get somebody like Lena fucking Hetty in there. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Charlize Theron 15 years ago. I fucking Charlize Theron now. Just, I, I mean, she's still fucking great. I, I also said Tatiana Maslany would be great in this role. At one time, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not excited by this news. And I, I don't, honestly, I don't think at the, when all is said and done, if it's not going to be as fucking iconic as the Brandon Lee movie, why fucking do it? it, it why? Because it's a fucking cash grab because everybody knows the crow. And so it's going to make some money. Um, Steve, what are your thoughts on, uh, Bill Skarsgård as the, Eric Draven, the crow? I mean, he's been growing just in general in Hollywood, just like with his roles that he's been doing. It'll be, uh, I don't know. At this point, until I see a trailer for this, like it's, it sounds interesting, but like you guys have been saying, it's been going on for 15 years now. They've been trying to do this reboot. So until it actually happens now, I'm just, okay, it sounds interesting, but you know, uh, I'll, I won't hold my breath. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This smells like a sub- late September release, you know, because it's afraid of everything else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe early February. Oh, that'd be just, that'd also be disappointing too if that was the case. That like it, and they make it and then it just doesn't perform or even is good. It just what a forced concept at, at that way. Just like yeah, it's a cult classic, but just maybe it's just one of those times where you just leave it that way. Yeah, I think the time has come and passed. I, I don't think the nostalgia for this franchise is there anymore unless you get a visionary director or a real big name to put in the role. I just don't don't think you're going to sell it on concept alone. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, th- yeah agree. I mean, they chalk this up to n- films that don't fucking need to happen. That first movie still works. It's It's something that I revisit often, and that movie – Still works really well. None of the sequels to it worked. Every single sequel sucked ass progressively worse. <laughs> I don't see how the, they can come in and do – unless they're going to do something different. Your idea, Brian, about uh, uh, gender bending the lead would at least be something kind of different where, okay, you're still you know, capitalizing on this, this name and knowledge of the IP of The Crow, but you're giving us something different. If you you don't have a fucking chance in hell of topping that first movie. It was perfect. Yeah, Brandon Lee put in an iconic performance. The soundtrack, soundtrack. was fucking amazing. Yeah, the the tragedy of of Brandon Lee dying during the performance of it. I mean, the the movie is a cult classic. In in it's it's fucking damn good. Um, my my own personal journey with the Crow. I saw it when it first came out, and then upon hearing that oh, this is based on a comic book. I went out and found the trade paperback, and it was probably the first trade paper, paperback that I ever bought in my life. Um, so, I mean, I've I've loved this IP since it first came out. You know, I, I said earlier that, you know, I was a metal kid growing up, so this soundtrack was like, it slotted right in with my sensibilities at the time. I mean, it's got fucking Pantera the badge in it. It's so fucking good. Um, incredible soundtrack, incredible performances. Um, 
there, there's no chance in hell that they're going to top it. So if they uh, want to just no- try and give us a reboot of the same shit, yeah, like, you're not going to do better. I mean, sure, you might make some money, but are you going to make a killing off it? No. There's, I mean, I'd love to be proven wrong. There's zero chance. There's no way that you're going to capture the magic of that first fucking movie, and especially with yeah, like no way. the villains and, and fucking even like, you know, Ernie Hudson in that movie. You're not going to get anybody to fucking, you know, fucking Michael Wincott is top dollar. Fucking uh, David Patrick Kelly is T-Bird. These are fucking great fucking villains throughout the movie. I mean, you're, you're not going to get any fucking where close and how much do you want to fucking bet that they're going to make this shit pg fucking 13 how course, much do you want to bet? get as many uh, butts and yeah. seats as possible so i mean yeah the whole thing just sounds gross to me and it doesn't need to happen as it's being described you 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 that first fucking when, when they fucking settle on a rating and it's pg-13 they can fuck right off i'm not walking into the theater to watch that crap I'm not walk- – I didn't I didn't go to the theater and watch fucking the new RoboCop with Joel Kinnaman. I haven't seen it yet because it's PG-13 and that is a fucking cardinal sin with RoboCop. You don't make a PG-13 RoboCop movie. You don't do it. You did it with RoboCop 3 and it was trash and you fucking did it with this new one. From everything I've heard, even with Michael Keaton in it, it is trash. I'm not going to watch a fucking PG-13 crow either. Fuck right off. Not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, that's a recipe for fucking disaster, a PG-13 crow. It, it's truly just trying to cash grab at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's 100%. 100%. If it gets a PG-13 rating, they just want to get more butts and seats, and we're not going to get a good movie. Just fucking man up and make a fucking R-rated crow movie if you're going to go for it. Um but I'm not excited by Bill Skarsgård. I'm not excited by the announcement. Sadly, I think I do think Jason Momoa would have been a would have been a better fit. And I, I wasn't even sold on that at the time. Um, but now, you know, fucking how how many remo- years removed are we from the Jason Momoa potential casting? Seven, eight years now. I'm that that's more exciting than than this Bill Skarsgård. I yeah, mean, they should have got they should have locked him in because he's bigger than than that choice now. I mean, he's the new face of the Fast and the Furious movies, and I think that's going to be a hit. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, news from Dark Horizons. It looks like... Uh, I just want to talk about... This is a weird fucking... <laughs> this is weird. Squid Squid Game director sets his next film. Have you guys heard about this, his next film? I have not. Filmmaker Huang Dong Hyuk, who created and directed... Every episode of Netflix's South Korean mega sensation Squid Game has set up a new feature film project. Listen to the title of this. Killing Old People Club. <laughs> Speaking during a session at MIP TV alongside producer, uh, Jun Young Yang and Dong Hyuk, they revealed he has already penned a 25 page treatment for a film adaptation of a novel by famed Italian intellectual, the name of the rose author, Umberto Eco. Uh, Hyuk promises that the project, which has adopted the working title of KO Club, will be more violent than Squid Game. And says he may have to hide from elderly, from the elderly after the film comes out. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, (laughs) I know the first rule of uh, (laughs) killing old people club is. 
You well, can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was probably scared of the elderly. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, I guess. Oh, real quick. I want to get back to this, but he also says the best compliment he got about Squid Game came from an idol of his, none other than filmmaker Steven Spielberg, who revealed he had binged watched the series in three days and told Dong Hyuk, now I want to steal your brain. So that's cool. Fucking uh, Steven Spielberg watched Squid Game and loved it. But uh, yeah, his next project is a movie called Killing Old People Club. And you could just imagine that it's a uh, it's a club of people that go out and kill old people. It sounds so dark. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder how that works. Like, is it a is it a club that you have to pay for membership? Is it like kind of a Squid Game situation where they get people down in their luck and force them to kill old people? Like, I'm very curious how this works here. Oh yeah, yeah, and that will all be explained in this movie. And I, it's, <laughs> dude, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Will you watch it? Oh, 100 percent. Me too. Yeah. I don't even want to see a trailer. <laughs> I'm just, I'm actually just upset that like I have no living grandparents to watch this with. Oh Aww. yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. That would my grandpa really would appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, oh, this is fucking wild, Steve. I haven't heard you say anything. I still haven't seen Squid Game. What in the fuck? Are you serious? Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, everybody jumped on it so fast, I just let the bandwagon go right past me, and I was just like, all right, cool, I'll see when I see it, and I just haven't yet. So, <laughs> I get uh, you, Steve. That's my Tiger King. Yeah, so it's just like, I'll see it eventually. It sounds interesting, but, um, uh, yeah, I am in, is this, you said this is a movie? Yeah, he, I, he's doing a movie called, uh. It's uh, right, right now. It's got it's, a working title of KO Club, but it, it might. It, it sounds like it's going to be called Killing Old People Club. Man, it sounds interesting. I'll definitely. I'll probably. I'll if it's a movie. I'm sure it'll be something I'll have to check out anyway. But um, no, I'm definitely intrigued on just like what it sounds like. The Purge, but old for old people. Hold on. Let me ask you this: How fun can it be to watch old people get killed? Is that the probably, question? Probably more fun than watching two-year-olds make orange juice. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, two-year-olds making orange juice is adorable. You <laughs> had to go find the orange. The, message, the, the episodes are fucking ten minutes, too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first one was 20, but yeah, uh, that, uh, whatever. Uh, Oh fuck off, Steve! I know. Oh, I know. I just don't know what else to, what else to say. <laughs> you know what? I want you to take the rest of this time on this episode to start Squid Game. All right? I'm kidding. You need to watch Squid Game. I think you'd like it. Yeah, it's really good. It's really I, fucking good. I think I will too. But everybody was talking about. It. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> I'm in the same camp as Steve. It's it's something that I've never heard a single bad thing about, but I just haven't started watching it yet. Um, <gasps> oh my this god! This new show sounds wild as fuck, though. Or this new movie sounds wild as fuck. And to to hear it's actually based off of a novel, it's like okay, well at least there's some source material they're drawing from. But man, what a disturbing, dark concept. I mean, at least just what uh, you know, 
that title elicits in in the mind is like, what the fuck is this going to be about? Yeah. Yeah. Joe, I can't believe you haven't seen Squid Game either. Dude. Yeah, you that's why. love it. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I need to start it. it. It all comes down to how much time I have, but it is it is one of those ones that I feel guiltier about for not starting because I've heard so many people whose, you know, opinions I, I really, really trust have, you know, spoken so highly of it. Joe, we're not. Watch that we're, one with the kids. That would have changed my life at, at 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, we're not we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You need to start it. You know what I mean? Like one one moment you're fucking you're a squirrel and you're running across the street, and next thing you know, I fucking hit you with my car. <laughs> Your dad. I get to the pearly gates, and Joseph, did you watch Squid Games? Exactly. <laughs> I get to the yeah. Saint Pete. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you're fucked. We what don't have, have Netflix here. What have you <laughs> What have you done with your life? Oh yeah, your, your your wife and your kids loved and respected you. Did you watch Squid Game? <laughs> I feel like no. Well, you're a piece of shit. The Squid Game's like taking over the wire, like spot for that, where it's like, like I forget what movie it was, but someone's like about to die, and they're like, "Oh, I still haven't watched The Wire," and they drop yeah, dead. Squid Game's different from The Wire because it's actually good. The wires. Pretentious people say it's good. Oh no, Jake. You, <laughs> the wire's great. You're out of your fucking mind. There's just hot take there's the, the wire, right? There's the I think it's like the third season that's not good, or one of the seasons is not good, but like it's overall the wire is fantastic. It is. I just watched it finally for the first time. I it's finally checked off my list. So Yeah. Alright. Uh let's jump into Marvel News. I'm really still pissed off about the fucking hate for old enough. Jesus oh, Christ. I you opened the door for that joke. I, Steve was ready to tell it too. No, no, no. It's, it's You wanted it. I, how can you not enjoy watching cute little kids perform fucking uh, adult tasks unsupervised? When there's some mean guy making fun of their faces Aww. while they walking. I fucking, I fucking make fun of you guys this entire fucking episode and you show up every fucking week I ask you to. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> oh my! Okay. All right. Yeah. You. All right. Whatever. Mar- Marvel news. You heard part of the bumper. <laughs> um, first up in uh, Marvel news. Uh, Marvel news. The rumors that are out there uh, of Storm, you know, X Men Storm showing up in Thor: Love and Thunder are completely false. That is not happening. So there were articles being written out there that Storm is going to show up in Thor Love and Thunder. Some people speculated it, and then they pulled back on that. She is not showing up in Thor Love and Thunder. So don't expect to see uh, Storm in that movie. Just wanted to get that out there. While we're talking about Storm, she's having a fantastic run in the X-Men line right now. So anybody wants to pick up X-Men Red uh, or just anything with what Hickman did with the House of X stuff – She's killing it right now. So, yeah. Don't put it out there. Is Hickman still doing that stuff? No, he walked away. He's actually doing the new um, Moon Knight stuff. But uh, the the Marvel was so happy with what was going on, they've actually extended everything to Krakoa and stuff. So uh, they have now the Destiny of X, which is now the third story arc of, like, with Hickman's uh, Krakoa storyline and everything. It's great. And – uh yeah, Immortal X Men One and uh, X Men Red Number One were were fantastic. I still have to need need to read Marauders, but 
Destiny of X and everything going on with the X-Men line is really good so far. All right. Um, rumors. I got uh, rumors from the Cosmic Circus. Um, it's an article titled, What I Heard, Sam Alexander in the Nova Project. We recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the Nova Project. Is it going to be Richard Ryder? Is it going to be the younger Sam Alexander? According to Deadline, Marvel has attached Moon Knight writer Sabir Prasada to helm the writing of the project with the possibility of the movie or series being limited to Disney plus and centered around Richard Ryder, the man called Nova in Marvel comics is a mantle that has been passed down in the past to multiple heroes with the most popular iterations being Richard Ryder and Sam Alexander. Uh, I'd like to lay out some details. I've heard about the Nova project in the past here for you. Now I'll also talk about where exactly this project could fit in the MCU and the direction that the hero could take moving forward in other projects. Uh, keep in mind that this is something that I've heard from several reputable sources over a considerable period of time. It should be noted that these are just ideas currently running around and that nothing is set in stone, especially given how early development this project is. These things tend to change over time as we approach blah, blah, blah. What I heard Marvel has been interested in, in introducing Nova into the MCU for a while now and has been and that has been long rumored. However, the issue for the delay stems from determining which iteration of Nova Marvel was going to to use for their cinematic universe, Richard Ryder or Sam Alexander. After careful deliberation and laying out the plans for the storylines Marvel Studios wants to use in their upcoming phases, it appears that Marvel Studios is looking to utilize both iterations of Nova at the same time. The concept would be similar to that of the Insomniac Spider-Man PS4 storyline. I have no idea what the fuck that is. Uh, in which Richard Ryder would already be established as Nova. At the same time, the story could also set up Sam Alexander to take up the mantle as the next Nova with Ryder as his mentor. The idea somewhat parallels the mentor-apprentice concept from Hawkeye with a tiny detail change. Um... By the end of the movie series, both Novas would still be active in the MCU with Alexander remaining on a street level status on Earth and potentially interacting with other young superheroes such as Ms. Marvel, Kate Bishop and America Chavez. Meanwhile, Ryder would take on a larger scale threats across the cosmic corners of the MCU. Um, I don't like this. If this is true, yeah. if this is true, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it at all. It seems very paint by numbers to have the older mentor version of the character training the younger version. It's kind of been there, done that with a million things in this genre. Uh, yeah, I'd rather they just pick one of these characters and really delve into, into that person. You can um, show me a Richard Ryder, but show me like his demise when fucking, you know, Thanos destroys Xandar, decimates Xandar. And then we're just left with Sam Alexander on Earth. And I don't want Sam Alexander to be relegated to fucking like handling street level shit as a Nova on Earth. Yeah, I want to see him do shit on Earth. But I also want to see like the potential of him just, you know, flying out to fucking space and like meeting a watcher, or meeting the Silver Surfer, or doing cosmic shit. I, I don't like this at all. If this is yeah. true, I don't like it. It feels like Marvel's trying to, like, have their cake and eat it, too, with this. Like, they really can't make a decision between the two, and they're like, oh, we can come up with this way to have them both. 
Um, I totally agree with what you said about keeping um, Sam relegated to just street level stuff. It uh, on Earth, it's like, are you kidding? He's a fucking Nova. <laughs> like, like, get out of here with that. That that just seems like what a, a a ridiculous waste of that much excellent power. You know, I mean, he should be getting into space adventures and stuff on Earth. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. Oh my god! If they're just going to regulate him to like hang out with the kids for like a Young Avengers series, you know. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I want to see him interact with other kids. But on the flip side, I'd like to see I I don't know. This just goes back to like Disney Plus, like making good content but still just not competing with the movies for me. Would you want to see a series or a fucking movie with this? I want to see a Nova movie. That yeah. shit's epic and I've wanted it for a long time. Like I want the special effects to be I want it to be top notch Marvel science fiction. I, I agree. Yeah. Steve, do you have any, uh, um, experience or past with the Nova comics? Uh, the only thing I knew that the only little bit I read of it was with Sam. And I know that he w- had like, you know, uh, interest in dating Miss Marvel at one point. I don't know yeah, if they actually yeah. did or not, but the, so I always assumed that they were just going to go with Sam. Because Miss Marvel's already a thing coming out in June, you know, so it's like, okay, so I'm I'm assuming Young Avengers, Sam's going to show up and everything, and that they'd use um, what's the other guy's name, Richard or something. I thought he would just be like the mystery of like what happened to him and why does Sam have his helmet? Because I think isn't Sam an orphan similar to like Shazam and everything? Sam gets his father's Centurion helmet, um, uh, Rocket and Gamora bring it to him on earth. Oh, so it's okay. A, it's so. kind of like a, I guess it's kind of like a Peter Quill type of thing, like in the MCU where, so, okay. So if it's more like that, but yeah, I, I never thought it'd be both of them. I thought they would use the, the older generation version of Nova as like a mystery for the helmet itself. But, um, this is the first I even heard of them trying to do both. And, uh, I hope they don't regulate with instead of regulating Sam to Earth. I just hope they don't regulate him to Disney Plus. Like Jake's saying, uh, the stuff about Nova and what he does, and yeah, he's the thing about Sam. From my understanding, was that he has to juggle going out in space and then coming home and doing his homework. So, you know, I feel exactly. like exactly, yeah. Like, you know, why not? Like, you had such success, and I don't think you have to fucking hire some 13 year old kid to play him. I honestly think that you can get like what they did with Tom Holland. Like he was how old? Yeah. Like 19 and he's pretending to be like 15. You can get an older kid with a little bit more acting ability and have him play younger. And I, that's where I think they should go. Like you could get, you could, you could get yourself like the next kind of like, Peter Parker type character here, but have him go cosmic. And there's a lot of fun to be had there and you can do it in a movie with a big budget. And I just, I do think like now that we got Disney plus, they're going to start, they, they're going to, I don't think they're going to Jake, are they going to fucking start making leaps? Like, like, um, like guardians of the galaxy made it to the movies. But I feel like if in like the Disney plus age, like that might just be like, like guardians of the galaxy might just have been a fucking like, Oh, now we can't take these risks. Now we got to fucking make a show. So you think maybe like Eternals and Shang-Chi, maybe the last of their kind in that world. Like it's now that we've got this other platform that we can 
kind of yes and no. I mean, we're getting the X Men, and we know that they're going to deserve like their own movies. Um, you know, but um, I don't know if like we're ever going to get that. Though is perfect for Disney Plus television. I mean, once you introduce the concept of the X Men, you've got you know five hundred plus characters that you can do a million things. TV, sure, lines in general. What was like like if they're going Claremont route then that should that deserves tv you can't do it in movies i feel with some of the storylines i think i think kevin can i think kevin Feige can figure it out a way i think he can true yeah that's true I but think. i i do think that like it'd be very interesting if we're introduced to if not sam if we're introduced to the older nova character in the in the miss marvel's movie or is it just marvels now i forget exactly what it's, they're calling i think it's called marvels is what it's I called know. yeah It'd be interesting if he, if he comes in through that. I mean, post credit scene or something, maybe. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just don't want to see like some of these characters just relegated to like a Disney Plus series. Like, I don't care if you give me a fucking Ghost Rider Disney Plus series. That's fine because like I don't need a Ghost Rider movie. But when it comes to like characters like Nova, I'd rather see them get like their own movie, not this Disney Plus series. That's- yeah, I want to see Nova get a proper score. Like, a, I, I want to see it just at that movie level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also, so much of his story is cosmic. And from from what we've seen so far in the Disney Plus series, the versus the movies, the movies do have the better CGI. So it would be better to see this as a movie and really see him go all out and make all the space stuff look really epic. Yeah, yeah. Let me pause here real quick, guys. All right. Okay. Um, I, I, I do have so I want to move on to the next story. I have some rumors about Black Panther 2, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And these rumors come from the direct and it's titled Black Panther 2 leak teases major new conflict in Wakanda. And it says, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is shaping up to be one of the most crucial installments of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 4. Not only will the film pay tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman and pass his superhero mantle to a to-be-determined successor, but it also represents the debuts of two major MCU players. Now, we've heard that it was originally going to be passed to Shuri, you know, Letitia Wright, but recent things have kind of changed that, and now we're hearing that for the interim, it's going to be... Um, Winston Dukes Mbaku, who's going to be the the new Black Panther going forward after this movie. So I don't know. That's just rumors. We'll find out if that's true. Now, this this rumor goes on to say um, uh, it represents the debut of two major MCU players. It says those two rookies are Dominique Thorne's Riri Williams and Tina Huerta's Namor, while the Submariner's future is a conducive uh, is conducive to his reception following Black Panther 2. Riri's next outing is already set in stone. Marvel Studios is actively developing Ironheart, a Disney Plus streaming series that will spotlight the heir to Tony Stark. Ironheart's role in Wakanda Forever looked to be inspired by her relationship with Letitia Wright's Shuri, a dynamic that is played with significantly in Marvel Comics. Set photos from Black Panther 2's summer shoot in Boston, the city where Riri attends college, indicated the young hero would not just be showing up for a conversation. If recent rumblings are to be believed, that Massachusetts-based action could be the catalyst for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever's colossal conflict. Check this out. As reported by Murphy's Multiverse, Dominique Thorne's, uh, Thorne's Riri Williams is rumored to be the spark 
that lights Black Panther Wakanda's forever's fire. The future Ironheart is set to be responsible for an invention that leads Wakanda into conflict with a hidden civilization led by Namor. While Ironheart's, repl- uh, while Ironheart's placement in Wakanda Forever seems solely for the purpose of introducing the young hero, this rumor indicates that she is critical to the sequel's narrative. In the comics, Namor is often portrayed as the aggressor. Some iterations have the Submariner operating as a fully-fledged villain. With that anti-hero vibe already established on the page, it seems natural for Namor's MCU introduction to be as an adversary. That said, this rumor indicates that Wakanda is pursuing conflict with a hidden civilization, not the other way around. With the home country of T'Challa largely being a neutral force within the MCU, what possible invention could provoke them to wage war? What is her invention? On the page, Riri's most iconic invention is her Ironheart suit. Uh, the MCU has seen, let's see, it looks like I'm trying to see if they, do they talk about what she, no, they don't talk about what she fucking invents. She invents, uh, she invents something that's going to be the uh, the spark for this war that's going to happen between uh, Namor and Atl- Namor Atlantis and Wakanda. It sounds awesome. I hope so. I here's the thing. I panic like just like the whole like the the issues of it all because we first thought about the whole like flood issue or whatever that we heard in Wakanda, but you know she built there was an the- earthquake. There was an earthquake underwater. But, like, you know, she builds that Ironheart suit in her college dorm. Like, that's what makes her so amazing is just, like, she can, like, she can build it all. Not She doesn't need the, uh, like, the warehouse that Tony Stark might need. She can put anything together in a way. And it's just, it's really, I can't wait to see what they do with her. I'm a big fan of hers in general. And it's really cool to hear that not only is she getting the series, but she's going to be a driving force in this movie. Gosh, it's crazy that um, the Shuri is getting like replaced on every level now. It's like first she was going to be the Black Panther, and then the storyline changed there, and now she doesn't even get to be like the science genius of the story anymore. It sounds like she's getting replaced in that aspect too. I feel so, the same way, Jake. Like that's it, wild. Yeah, I don't know, man. It feels like. Do you think that they're going to phase Shuri out of the Wakanda? It sure that, smells like it. That's like the first thing I thought of when you were reading all that synopsis was like, wow, like we're I mean, it's cool that, you know, a character like that is going to be introduced in a movie. Like we talked a lot this episode about how it's kind of nice to see, you know, the new characters introduced in a movie as opposed to a TV show. But at the expense of like phasing out another character like shit, man, it made me think like back to the future and marty seeing people disappear from the fucking photo like this character is just getting erased it feels like i think uh what do you think um at what is it at the end of uh black panther don't doesn't shuri kind of like and 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 uh t'challa don't they build like a like an educational center in the city there or something yeah, he says yeah. that they're going to and shuri's going to be in charge of it so don't you think that that's how sh- that's how Riri is discovered, right? Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It would be only natural. To do anything else would be stupid. And so, so under her like tutelage and, and her finding this prodigy, she invents something. And then, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the invention is going to do, but it, it sounds like it's going to basically like be the catalyst and wage like kind of like be what's 
the reason to wage war with this hidden civilization. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I still do think like off of the Namor stuff and off of the Riri stuff, I do think there is a big chance, um, that we are going to find out that, um, that, uh, Okoye and T'Challa, um, that she got pregnant and, and, and she's, and we're, we're going to be introduced to like their five-year-old son, five, six-year-old son in this next movie. Yeah, I, like I think it. that I makes sense. That, that seems like a really good way to carry that torch forward. Do you think that, that Atlantis or, or Namor is going to be perceived to be having, you know, having something to do with uh, T'Challa's death? And then with this new technology that Riri is making, they're able to carry the war to them. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, man. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe she figures out a different way to mine the vibranium and whatever that way is, is disrupting the waters and the oceans and wreaking havoc on, on Namor's side of the land. Yeah. I was always thinking I, before like this whole invention thing, I was always thinking it was going to be that, you know, during the, during the five years, uh, you know, um, before the blip, when everybody was gone, it had a chance for like, you know, nature to kind of like come back, you know, even though, you know, we had less people on the earth. So there was less demand for like, you know, fishing and all this stuff. And, and, and nature had a, had a chance to breathe and grow during that five years. And now that everybody's back, I was thinking like maybe, you know, the oceans, now they're feeling the effects of that. And, and that's why Namor has to come out of height. But I guess it's this invention that's that's made by that's made by Riri. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, li- I like where you were going with that, though, like tying the blip itself into, yeah. into the reason for the disruption. I mean, that would be very natural, too. But, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like the science may really fuck up what's going on in Atlantis for some reason. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm looking forward to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It comes out November 11th this year, guys. If they don't move it again, it, it, that's when it's going to come out. I have, I have a feeling this one's going to get pushed I do too. to the next year. I, that's why I said what I said. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. do think it's going to get moved. I really do. But uh, hopefully it doesn't have any competition in November and we get the fucking movie. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's move on into DC news. Last night, Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. Alright, uh, saw this tweet this week, uh, from at movies that may, at movies that mayor. It's, M-A-H-E-R. Uh, they said Grace Randolph said that Warner Brothers now has to cut a scene from Aquaman 2. That featured Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne meeting Jason Momoa's Aquaman. It was cut because The Flash is now coming out after Aquaman 2. It still may be an end credit scene for The Flash film. So that's interesting. We would have seen Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne meet Jason Momoa's Aquaman. 
Wow, it seems like they're putting Michael Keaton Batman in as many projects as humanly fucking possible. Isn't he doing the – isn't he going to be in the – is it like a Batgirl series that they're doing? Yeah, it's like the HBO Batgirl series. He's supposed yeah. to be a main player in that. Yeah. And yeah. so it seems really forced that he would like meet up with Aquaman. That's probably a good cut. Like we've complained multiple times about how – can't they just resist shoving Batman into everything? I mean, golly. I mean, I love Michael Keaton Batman too, but I a little goes a long way. I don't need him shoved into every single DC franchise that comes out over the next two to four years. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what he's doing with Aquaman. I mean, I don't know. I I still can't wait to see. What the fuck is going on with Ezra Miller? Jesus Christ. <laughs> That dude's losing his mind. Well, like, this isn't like, okay. He does not like karaoke. Well, like, he got, do you remember, like, this is not his first fucking run-in. No, he chokeslammed that woman, like, right when we were, like, starting quarantine. Yeah, it was April 2020 in in Iceland. He fucking, uh, it looked like he was joking around at first, but the bar didn't think it was a fucking joke. And he fucking, like, chokes a woman throws her to the ground the video looked super real to me like i well she looked, looked like, like she was slammed. it was weird it was really it's really weird he they says were like yucking it up at first yes and all of a sudden it turns bad and but yeah. i don't know it's re- it is really because it cuts off immediately she looks like she's smiling at one point but there's no reason for him to have his hands on her first off so I mean, even if he is playing around, what he did looked like it could be dangerous to even fucking joke around like that. So I don't know. But after what he he, – he, didn't he get another fight recently? What's going on here? It was like in Hawaii? Yeah, he got mad at some karaoke bar and like got into a scuffle with some people. And, and there was something else. He got arrested for um, disorderly conduct a couple weeks after that. I'm done with him, dude. Fuck him, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The WB PR people must just be pulling their fucking hair out. Years ago, I would have told you, like, you know, like you got to get a, you got to get a you got to get a Hollywood actor to play the Flash for the movies, and Grant Gustin can stick with the TV show. Now that like he's like Grant Gustin is like nine seasons in or whatever the fuck on the Flash, and he's like gained the adoration and love from the fans i am all for making him the cinematic version of the flash i endorse it 100 percent. i think he has built up enough trust from the fans that it should it that they should they should do this i really do i i i i, I sign on it and i you would have asked me this fucking five six years ago i, I would have said no you don't do it you keep it separate You've got the TV actor doing the TV show, and you get a big Hollywood name, and you get a Hollywood actor to fucking play the Flash. You don't – at this point, the guy's put in nine years. I think fans need some good fucking news. They don't need their Flash going around choking people and fucking causing fights in bars and shit. And Grant Gustin's a good guy, and I think he's uh, I think he's the Flash at this point. I don't know. You don't have to agree with me, but I think – I that's what I want. I, I – Fuck Ezra Miller. Give give it to Grant Gustin. He won't fuck it up. Yeah, Ezra Miller ruined it for, for celebrities. I'm right there with you. I, I agreed that they should have kept it separate. But at this point, yeah, nine seasons, 
you're doing like flashpoint shit anyway. Let's just fucking swap these guys out. Fucking swap them out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's like the let's give Ezra Miller the Shuri treatment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Ezra Miller, like his portrayal of Barry Allen is not Barry Allen at all. It's it's much closer to like Wally West in the comics. And I would agree with that. Yeah, because Barry Allen is like he's a detective. He's he's one of the few members of the Justice League that has Batman's like utmost respect. And and do you see that? Do you see Batman respecting Ezra Miller's Flash? No, Ezra Miller's Flash is a fucking goofball. I mean, it was it was entertaining enough in in um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, but the whole time watching it, I'm like, this isn't the Barry Allen I know. This is just something that they wrote for this fucking movie but i i would be great i would be absolutely fine with with grant gustin doing i i dropped off flash a long time ago but what i saw of what grant did in the first couple seasons it was a hell of a lot closer to what barry allen is yeah than, than ezra miller ever did and if he's going to be that much of a fucking bonehead yeah fuck off man i'm i went through four and a half seasons of the flash and i i love grant gustin i think he's just I think he's a great guy. I think he's really good for the role of Barry Allen. But, um, th- yeah, what I'm reading here is shortly after the Fantastic Beast and Justice League's actor recent arrest for disorderly conduct and harassment in Hawaii, Warner Brothers and DC executives held an emergency meeting on March 30th. According to their source, the consensus during the meeting was to pause all future projects involving Miller as well as any public appearances they may have scheduled. <laughs> Just get this guy out of there. Fire him. Yeah, before it gets worse. Fire him. He is a liability, and you don't need that right now when everything as far as like the DC cinematic universe has been so shaky anyway. Get him out of there. And I get yeah. – Fix it makes this. me laugh when I see the uh, Fantastic Beast trailer that we've, you know, we fired Johnny Depp from the franchise, but I still have to see Ezra Miller popping up in these scenes. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, uh, brother. Uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Steve what? You're so worn out with Ezra Miller. I am, brother. man. I'm fucking, I'm so done with this motherfucker. You know, it's like. Well, he's. What has he done since Fall in Our Stars? It, basically you, nothing. Nothing. Right? Fuck him. Nothing. Fault in Our Stars, I thought he was charming and I loved him. Everything. It was a TV show, right? That people liked. Um, they I loved like, it so much, we can't even remember the fucking name of it. Yeah, I never watched it. Yeah, but yeah I don't know. I mean, I, I only knew him be like because of The Flash, but otherwise, I never, I never, I don't think I saw the Fault in Our Stars. And yeah, I don't really know him in anything else, but yeah, I echo everything you guys are saying. I just, at this point, it's like, like fool me one situation, you know. It's like you're done. Like, well, is the is the question now to fucking is it to get a big Hollywood name or a, a, an up and coming Hollywood star, or do you just say fuck it and and and, and I, I don't think they're gonna do Grant Gustin. I don't. I do. I think it's the right move. Yes, I really do. I think I think fans would love it. I I think fan, when fans see him, they think he's the Flash. I think more fans know he's the Flash than know fucking Ezra Miller's the Flash. I agree. I we have I think we have a better chance of Grant becoming the movie Flash now that Discovery guy is taking over for Warner Brothers. But uh, I'm with you. Like I don't mind at this point just giving it to Grant. Yeah. Um, 
he's he, he deserves it. I mean, they even had Ezra show up in in the TV show uh, yeah. during the crossover event. I heard he so- choked Grant Gustin <laughs> during the, during that filming. Yeah, Grant Gustin did some karaoke. Ezra Miller got super fucking mad. Yeah, <laughs> there was no dance off. <laughs> oh, brother, man, this is <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts, dude. <laughs> it is nuts. I, I, and if you're not going to do Grant Gustin, I then yes, do. Let's get a legitimate celebrity be, to be the Flash. Like Ezra Miller was kind of a radical choice. Like this role, if anything, made him a celebrity more than he was a celebrity put in this role. Right. Um, you need I, a comedian. You need a, a slim character comedian person to take on the role of whether it's Wally or Barry. Like because I grew up with Wally as the the flash from the justice league unlimited series and then barry comes into play with grant in this in the newest series but either way they're wisecracking people it's not like plastic man but like the guy's gotta be a jokester you know yeah give me a pete davidson wally west movie oh get the fuck out of here oh no that's terrible (laughs) not going that far but i mean i like where steve's taken here but I mean, he is—he's got that slim fit. But uh, and you know what I mean, though. But it's just, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where the Flash is a staple within the Justice League itself. So we got to do something about it. And I mean, at this point, why not just replace him? Warner Bros. keeps delaying the movie anyway. Yeah, I, I say, I say, just fucking, just replace him. I mean, I there's no, but there's no way we we still have to get this movie out there with Ezra Miller in it. But the first scene is Michael Keaton, Batman, fucking slapping this guy out of fucking reality. And we introduced <laughs> a new Flash. <laughs> uh, so this is it's this is it's a train wreck. Are you kidding me, Ezra Miller? Are you fucking asshole. Oh my god. Anyway, um, let's move on into Star Wars news. Should I play the bumper, Jake? I don't know. Yes. All right. <laughs> What are Misa saying? You were supposed to be here with me, listening to Pop Culture Leftovers Podcast. That's not true. That's impossible. Oh, my God. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. This is so loud. Anyway. Uh, exclusive news from Bespin Bulletin. Benny Safdie's character in Obi-Wan Kenobi revealed... These might be minor spoilers, guys. Have you guys seen this? No. Oh, is this the um the reason the half the reason they push the the one episode premiere to two? Uh, I don't know about that. I get all I can tell you is uh, is is who Benny Safdie is playing. Okay, because um, I heard that like with it coming out right before celebration, they moved it because someone premiering in episode two. Is on a panel, so that that was one of the main reasons why they moved it to a two episode premiere, like a day later or something. I I don't know about that, but um, they 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 go into um, they say they can exclusively reveal that Benny Safdie is playing a Jedi named Neri, who's been seeking out Obi Wan Kenobi, but Neri is being hunted down by the Inquisitors and is the reason they arrive on Tatooine. In the trailer, you get two glimpses of Neri, one at 
as at an establishment where Moses Ingram's Riva jumps in front of him and ignites her lightsaber and a shot of his feet as he's been hung. But the trailer also gives a small piece of conversation between Obi-Wan and Neri when you hear the former say, the fight is done, we lost. So when I posed the question uh, during our episode that the person being hung might be another Jedi and they're, you know, showing him as like basically like a, you know, you can't harbor these Jedi. And so it looks like I was correct in, in thinking that might be the case if this is, if this is true. It goes on to say, I can add a little bit of extra information regarding the scene where Neri is confronted by Reva in the teaser trailer. My sisters tell me that Reva, the fifth brother and the grand inquisitor shake down civilians trying to lure Neri out and all three enter an establishment. Uh, we see the Grand Inquisitor giving a speech about the Jedi not being able to help themselves, which we partly heard in the trailer. This is like, like they're turning like the Grand Inquisitors into like fucking like Nazis. Oh, yeah, totally. Going through the city and like looking for, you know, Jedi and going like after, going after Neri here. Go ahead. What's the word? The I can't think of the term now. The the police force, the the, the Gispastio or whatever, the Gispastio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like that. The Geppetto. I think this is a the Geppetto. <laughs> the, <Gepetto. laughs> the Gestapo. The the Gestapo. Thank you. Jay. The Gazpacho. Yeah. The soup. What? <laughs> it's a it's a cold soup, right? Gazpacho. Yes. Without the shells. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really fucking dumb name for a Jedi. I already hate Neri the Jedi. I'm, I'm glad he's gonna get fucking Nazi'd. Oh, I love I love Benny Safdie though. I'm fucking. He I'm, sounds like the fucking Cole of the Star Wars universe, man. He, it, this sounds terrible. <laughs> I think that narratively, this is a really really great move though. That you're bringing in this other Jedi that we can just kill off right away, but it gives the the um. Uh, Inquisitors a good reason to show up, you know, on this planet and not have it be because they're looking for Obi Wan Kenobi. They don't, you know, know about Luke Skywalker, but like a good reason to show up uh, puts consequences right in front of Obi Wan's face. This is what's going to happen, and is it going to lead to him fleeing from the planet to try and you know get the scent away from Luke? Is it is it going to lead on some sort of adventure where you know maybe one of these Inquisitors finds a secret and he ends up having to battle that one to the death? Because then it'll still fit nicely with with the other stuff in canon with with the Inquisitors and Rebels. Um, this says, I think this is a really exciting news. This says that the character of Neri was previously revealed by making Star Wars, who revealed Neri grew up in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant and has been seeking out Kenobi since Order 66. Neri finds Kenobi and asks for his help, but Kenobi refuses and advises him to bury his lightsaber in the sand. However, Kenobi rejecting Neri's plea for help results in the death of the young Jedi, something I'm sure will deeply weigh on Obi-Wan. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like... <laughs> what is so funny about <laughs> I, that? Poor, poor Neri. I, I just like how we're going to have basically like the red shirt Jedi of the Star Wars universe here. Like fans are going to know, like we know what Order 66 is. We know what the status quo is by the time we get to episode four. Like but any Jedi that shows up, it's like they can't hide it. You know what, what's going to happen to them. Do you, do you think this will connect to Boba Fett or Mandalorian at all? Like do you think I don't. Reason, uh Grogu was hidden? 
during 66? I don't think I don't I don't think that it's going to connect to I hope it doesn't. I just want this to be I I just want this to be kind of like the bridge between, you know, episode three and episode four. I I don't need any more Mando stuff. I mean, unless it sucks, like unless it's like bad, like Boba Fett and we need like Mando episodes to make it worth watching. And (laughs) sure. But also, I was thinking about that as well, like with Obi-Wan coming up. Do you think that Boba Fett or the actor that – I forget his name that plays Boba Fett. Do you think that they had to pull him for a couple episodes because he has to play the clones or the, the troop – the stormtroopers? It's so, rumored. I mean you get in – it's rumored that he might show up in this. There's a couple shots and you get a look at like a couple characters from the back and you can see like their bald head and some people are saying it's Tamira Morrison. But in the Clone Wars series, right? So it makes sense if they had to pull him for these other shows for these characters that he does because aren't we supposed to get these stormtroopers again? I mean you, we're going to see stormtroopers, but I, right. we, we don't know if we're seeing clone troopers or not. So Okay, yeah. So if if Neri's a character that grew up in the Jedi Temple, I wonder if we'll get like a Grogu name drop. Oh my just god, something, you, just something like just yeah. thrown off in passing. I don't need it though, guys. Yeah. I don't. Well, Star I'm Wars, I need it, but it would just be an uh, it could be an Easter egg that could be thrown in. <laughs> you guys want to make Grogu like the Batman of fucking Star Wars? That's what I'm saying. It's like, can we? I mean. No, I'm I'm more interested in like could we see the transition from clones to troopers again to like you know because the the clones were phased out so maybe we'll get to see that in this series. I mean I, the Cassian Andor series. There's a series that might need some Grogu. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I could see it. I mean, I don't think it's going to be actually connected very much. Like nowhere near like what Boba Fett was. But I could see them still name dropping Grogu just to make everything fit like a perfect narrative. But uh, I hope they don't. I mean, I guess I don't know. I don't know. I don't need it. Um, I just, I just want this to kind of like do its own thing and and be kind of like the bridge. Maybe have maybe hopefully a better appreciation of the. Of the prequels after all is said and done. So. Yeah. Um, but, oh, uh, will there be a post credit scene in Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi? This comes from, uh, makingstarwars.net and it says, uh, for the first time ever, it sounds like Darth Vader has found himself as a post, as post credits material. It isn't just a sound effect or fresh breath of this, of his, uh, of his either. It, it it is a post-credits introduction for Anakin Skywalker from a certain point of view. Last year, a set for Darth Vader's Back to Tank was built in Southern California, and the introduction of Darth Vader was shot for Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, a trusted source who squirts and never leaks, who has seen the rest of the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi footage, confirmed the existence of the scene, and crew members confirmed such moments to moments do happen in the series. It was confirmed the footage was shot as post-credits material or mid-credits if you want to get technical. As Kenobi begins to rediscover himself and his powers in Chapter 2, let's just say there is a uh, there is clearly a disturbance in the Force after Kenobi and 10-year-old Princess Leia are reunited. This triggers our first post-credits scene. The source says we see some murky water 
and then the ugly eye of Anakin Skywalker opens into frame. We are left with the ominous feeling Kenobi and Organa have awoken the beast. The only problem is you won't see more until the next episode of Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, it is Anakin Skywalker in his back to tank being jolted awake by the presence of his old master. That's pretty cool. That'll be, that'll really get people fucking hyped up. Oh my God. If that's like the, yeah, if that's like the end of like the second episode, like, holy shit. Um, and if that's going to lead into Hayden Christensen having a, a presence in this, you know, that we haven't really seen yet, we've only gotten these inquisitors, but, and, and I know the inquisitors work under Darth Vader, but if he's like really involved in this as well, that would be exciting. To see him also hunting Obi Wan Kenobi. This goes on to yeah. say the, we know they're going to fight again. Yeah. Well, have you guys seen the footage? I have. Yeah. There's some leaked footage. Uh, this information lines up perfectly with a scene I know was shot over the spring summer of last year, which I figured was the start of Chapter Three and Vader's formal introduction to the limited series. The word was we would see a burned Anakin Skywalker on a table limbless in agony as his body parts are reconnected and reactivated. It was mentioned to me. This is how Darth Vader begins his day. So it is not a post battle damage, but rather this Sith Lord's version of morning coffee. Uh, (laughs) This is a bit of speculation here. I think it stands to reason that at the end of the second episode, Obi-Wan rescues princess Leia Organa. We have our happy ending until the credits where Darth Vader awakens. Then in the third episode, we open with Darth Vader being assembled and the stakes are raised as this Terminator is now after them. Um, yeah, it appears we know the post credit scene uh, is a formal introduction to the third chapter. So it sounds like we technically see Anakin before Darth Vader from a certain point of view. Um, wow. Yeah, that's fucking creepy, dude. If, if he's rescuing her and fucking Anakin is like in the back to tank and feels the, while he's in the back to tank, feels the presence of his old master and opens his eye and they're looking at him. And that's where the third episode starts off with him fucking getting his body parts reconnected and then going after them. I don't know. Even though, even though Vader doesn't know it, I wonder if the presence of his daughter also amplifies the force. So so that, you know, really makes him feel it, even though he may not understand where that's coming from. I mean, all these reports mention that it's when Obi-Wan and Leia kind of meet up that we have this Vader premonition. So Hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited for Obi-Wan, man. Fucking, uh, yeah, I love the two episode thing. It's been a while since Disney plus was nice like that and gave us two episodes right from the jump for yeah. where, even if it's for the reason Steve said, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. That is all I got. That is it. That is all we got. I want to, um, yeah, no, I don't know. Did you guys have any final thoughts on the Star Wars? 
No, I'm, I'm super stoked to, to see the series when it comes out and excited we're going to get two episodes. Yeah, give me some good Inquisitor shit. So, yeah. And I, I really – what do you think? Do you think we'll ever get a – do you think if this really goes over well, do you think like the next thing they're going to be thinking about doing is maybe a, is, is a uh, Darth Vader series? Because think about it. I mean there's like a lot of – there's a lot of stuff that they could do with Vader. There's a great, there's a lot of great content that Jason Aaron did uh, with his Star Wars runs uh, that take Charles place. Charles Soule, too. Yeah, in, be- in between uh, episodes four or five and then in between six and seven. Uh, they could easily do this Vader Down storyline that's really good that takes place between four and five. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot that could happen with it. And uh, it also makes sense with Vader fighting Obi-Wan in this because, you know, with that line that he uses in the in the New Hope with, like, the last time we met and everything could easily refer to this as well, an actual battle of him finally becoming, like, he's still trying to figure out himself as Darth Vader in a way. So it's all, it all from a certain point of view, it all fits in a way. So it's really intriguing to hear that they're finally bringing uh, Aiden Christian involved as well. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I think I think if this goes over really well, I think there is a chance that we could get a Darth Vader series. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I agree. If the stars align, if Hayden Christensen has a good time, if the fans really take to it, I, I think mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yep. There's a moment in the comics where Boba Fett finds um, Luke's old, like Uncle Owen's uh, Aunt Larue, like they, they, they the house and everything. He finds a journal. He brings it to Darth Vader, and he's like, "The guy that blew up the Darth the, the Death Star, his name's Luke Skywalker." And Darth Vader's like, doesn't respond. And Boba Fett's like, "All right, is that it?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then he like Darth Vader turns to look at the window, and the window subtly just cracks. Yes. Just find it like slow and it's so beautifully done where you're like holy shit and that's how Darth Vader learns of his name for Empire Strikes Back so it'd be really cool if they did something like that for like a Darth Vader series hmm. yeah I hate to rain on parades but when when it comes to a Darth Vader TV series and movies they're not going to give a shit about what happened in a Jason Aaron Marvel comic book that's whatever a- I can dream that's what I'm thinking too. It, it's too bad because, the, like Steve had mentioned, the Vader down story arc. That one's really, really good. I read, I read all those Star Wars books too, and there are some damn good stuff in there that they could totally mine from. Yeah, I was, I was actually, the, I was really excited about all the Star Wars comics, and I read them for a while. And then after a while, I was just thinking, like, just, just knock it off. Like, especially calling it all canon, like it's just knock it off. Just like yeah, it's it's too much. Fool me once, you know. Fool me twice. Like I just I went through it all the first time, reading all the stuff to have it erased, and I, I feel like it's already happening the second time. Well, I blame that on Disney because like they talk about how like all this new stuff is going to be connected, but then when you talk to the actors playing these roles and like they haven't read the book versions of themselves, and you're like, what? Like they're not even yeah. in the loop of that. It really is just dis- discerning about it you're just like oh yeah. okay it, they it, only said that to sell books they didn't say yeah. it because <laughs> that's it was what it feels advance like. the it's very disappointing yeah. though because like people like us that love reading all that and then seeing it on screen like i'd love that connectivity to make people want to read more and just they don't do it yeah no i just just i mean i i don't know yeah they shouldn't have told people that it was canon they really shouldn't have just just write fun star wars stories i'd be more excited to read star wars comic books if they just came out and said listen this is a pocket 
alternate universe yeah. version of Star Wars. Anything done by can happen. Some of today's hottest writers and artists. Anything can happen in it. Yeah, so, then they're yeah. not held by a bunch of rules that eventually don't matter anyway because the whole thing's just a, a race from reality in the first place. Like yeah. I just open the fucking sandbox and don't have it matter to anything. Let let anything fucking happen. Make crazy comic book fucking shit happen with these characters. Yeah. Oh man, you can have an episode where Luke is like taking putting on a sock and his ball falls out of his fucking underwear. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'll Easily take it. found on Google Images, too. I know. Luke Ball Soccer is what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, C-3PO was, was shocked. <laughs> he made that little nice... <laughs> No, that was our two. He went, oh my. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah. What was he, uh, George Takei now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Six million forms of teabagging. <laughs> we are, we're done. This is the end of the episode. I want to thank, I want to thank our guests. Um, Joe Stark, thank you so much. Where can people find you? What's, what's your latest episode? Yeah, my latest episode I recorded with my 14-year-old son, Aiden, and we talked both the Sonic movies, uh, MCU. We discussed each phase of the MCU, kind of our highs and lows, um, some of our favorite, least favorite moments in live-action Batman, um, as well as we, we talked uh, comics a little bit with Invincible and Descender and Watchmen. Uh, it was a really fun episode. He's He's a real pop culture sponge. And it, it was really delightful to to talk with them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's Starkcast, um, and you can find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja. Jake, I'm on. I think I'm on like the fifth season of uh, of uh, Married with Children now. How did that go? Ten seasons? It went quite a, quite a few. right? It went nine, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what was it? The fourth season, the actor that played Steve. Left like mid season, left the oh, show. Yeah, I, I love new Steve. He's hilarious. What? I like the the new Steve. Like it's it's a different character, but uh, it's Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson. Jefferson Darcy, who marries Marcy, and she becomes Marcy Darcy. And it's yeah. a, it's it's actor Ted McGinley from uh, uh, Happy Days. Yeah, he's great in that role. He's like an old school himbo. Well, Ted McGinley actually shows up on the show, I think in the fourth season is his first appearance, and it's the episode with Sam Kennison, who's playing um, like uh, uh, Al's angel. It's kind of like a uh, – Oh, I remember that. Like like that – you know, Scrooge story where he gets visited by the ghost. Well, he gets visited by the the angel who shows – Al, what his life would have been like had he not married uh, Peggy, and Peggy actually marries Ted McGinley's character in this, not not Jefferson Darcy, but he plays a completely different guy. And the family's great; like the kids are doing great in school, and Peggy's happy. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, Steve. I found out that actor. He the reason he left was because he he was done doing TV. He's a he's like a theater actor. He wanted to get back doing like live theater, and so I thought that that was. Yeah, he probably cool. didn't plan on signing up for nine seasons of a TV show. He just uh, he just. What do you mean we're not canceled? 
He just yeah. he just got done with it. He was like, "I'm done with TV," but yeah, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. It's a it's 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 a wild show. I can't believe half of this shit that happens. Hey, Steve, where can people find you, man? Yeah, you can find us at uh, seenitcast.com. We got the weekly uh, show, The Scene It Cast, uh, anywhere you can find on iPod or uh, you know your iPod show and everything else, Spotify, uh, Google Music, Apple Music, and all that. Uh, our latest episode will be coming out this week. Episode 45 will be covering Sonic 2, Rescued by Ruby and Metal Lords. And we already have full spoiler discussions of The Bubble, Moonshot, and I forget what the other movie was we talked about this week as well. But that's already out uh, with Brooke as our guest host uh, for episode 44. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Oh, my God. You, I, moonshot for you is like a cum shot. Jesus Christ, you love that thing. Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. It was a cum shot to the face. <laughs> <laughs> you orgasmed. Dude. I don't know what to say other than the scene in Moonshot. Where they talk about let's not like you know do anything sexual in the room and then like she makes the call like five minutes later he's like oh got a shit hypocrite 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 great great scenes great moments oh yeah I'm just oh, I'm rel- I'm reliving it and just I can <laughs> oh, barely contain this on yourself Brian I can barely contain the laughter right now Steve just the way that you said it just took me back to that fucking moment where I wanted to fucking shoot myself in the head anyway. Yeah. Uh, Check out Seen It Cast. I always have a good time when I'm on your podcast. It's like the opposite of you having a good time on this one, Steve. <laughs> um, we understand each other. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah. Well, I, <sighs> yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been great. I always enjoy coming on. No, I, I, I love having you on, Steve. I, I, I love being on your podcast. I love having you on here. Um, we will, I'll, I'll be back next week. Um, gonna be just doing, uh, we're just gonna review, uh, Fantastic Beast 3, uh, for next week's episode. And then the week after, I think we'll, yeah, we'll come back and do a regular episode the week after. But, uh, Jake, uh, until then, we're putting a, come on, we gotta say it at the same time. Until next week, we're putting a little. I went too fast. <laughs> you did. <laughs> little. I was trying to, I was trying to get us there together. You know, I wanted us to, you know, I wanted us to jump the gun. He jumped the gun a little bit. Oh my god, dude! My fuck, the kitten is he is trying to open a cabinet door, and he just he fucking he almost he likes to go. He wants to get in there and just destroy my ramen. You are you're. A fu- <laughs> I've been playing the mute challenge here with my cat the last five minutes or two, so I get it. There he goes. Yeah, I hear him. I hear him, <laughs> guys. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, until next week, put a lid on his then. thanks for listening to pop culture leftovers congratulations i don't know how you did it i couldn't do it you people need a t-shirt saying i just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap anyway if you'd like to reach the pop culture leftovers cast you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com you can also follow them on twitter at pc leftovers or like their facebook page they'd love to hear from you They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids.
it's, it's a trap. Turn it, toss it, turn it, take it, do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, clean it, erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftover, be sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. Have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and give a shout the crap, even though we're the shit. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture push over, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said Leftover Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Pop culture leftovers Good it, toss it, good it, Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carry over counterculture push